that's the ultimate goal is to locate the fire, confine the fire to a compartment, kill the compartment. That's the, that's the goal of compartment firefighting. And if I'm not in a position to kill the compartment, I don't want to make the problem bigger. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Kyle, you keep them entertained. I'm going to do this real fast. Okay, so a little background. on the spot. Yeah, no worries, man. A uh, little background on what we're talking about today is uh, I ride a three-man engine. So in phase one, we got four phases for our rookie phase. And uh, in phase one, we really concentrate on stretching and flowing um, because we're on an engine. And uh, we've got to make sure that these guys understand that they have to be independent operators. So on a three-man engine, I don't know if you're – hopefully there's a lot of guys listening that ride three-man engines. Uh, I'm a captain on a three-man engine, and I cannot be there with the nozzleman all the time to tell him when to open and where to put the nozzle, where to put the water. Um, so we have to develop a baseline knowledge base for these guys to be able to make these decisions in absence of their captain. So um, I like to start out with the whys of a lot of stuff. And uh, I was working with the C-Shift rookie that day, and I had a little extra time beforehand. And I usually go over this outside in the building, uh, but I had some extra time. I was working for another captain on the ladder truck, and uh, I was able to spend about 30 minutes kind of making some notes on the note board. And uh, once you get started into this rabbit hole, you just kind of nerd out on this stuff if uh, if you love it. you know. So I was able to nerd out a little bit on the whiteboard and um, lay out kind of my expectations of what we were going to be doing that day. And uh, it kind of feels like an avalanche sometimes to these new guys when I throw all this stuff at them. Right. But I like to be able to put it in word format so they can take a picture and refer to it back at the same, you know, but um, – Basically, that's that's essentially what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's awesome. Okay, now everybody there, I posted links to the pictures from Engine Company Resurrection. So if you're a member of Engine Company Resurrection, you'll have no problem seeing them. If you're not, I, I'm not sure how to fix it now because I didn't think ahead. So I hope this works for everybody. But most everybody's a member of ECR because it's like one of the, the best places to be if you're a fire nerd on Facebook. So um, I'm ready to kick it off. Are you ready to kick it off, sir? Yeah, man, I was born ready. And if anybody has questions, comments, or wants clarification as we go down this, uh, do not be afraid to fire it off because that is why me and Kyle are here this evening to have a lot of fun with you guys. So with all that being said, let me get my notes pulled up here so I can get my questions going. And I'm going to start right off on the whiteboard picks. You gave that info to that C-Shift rookie, and now I'm going to delve right off into it on slide number one. You started off with, the goals for the nozzleman. Yeah, so essentially the goals of the, for the nozzleman and for the engine crew um, overall is locate, confine, extinguish. You know, and you can find that in a lot of books, but they don't really expound on what that means right. to be isolated on the nozzle for locate, confine, extinguish. So I just broke them down there. So the first one's locate. I mean, um, for a department that makes some fi- a lot uh, a good amount of fires. It's really not necessary to describe this kind of stuff, but for a new guy coming in that hasn't made a lot of fires, you got to be able to describe what these things mean. Yes. You know, it's like the ultimate goals of the fire department is, you know, life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation, but nobody really talks about what those, that means. You know, what does that mean to me at three o'clock in the morning when the air break hits, you know, so kind of went into some detail here. The first line item is locate. So essentially for the nozzleman, how he's going to locate that fire if it's not a situation where it's presenting itself, you know, so sometimes we get lucky and we got fire showing from a window or 
a side of the house that we can see on the uh, approach. But if we don't, you got to be able to prepare these guys what they're looking for and able to find the actual fire room. You know, so if we're looking at three or four boxes inside this big box, because compartment fire is just a box with a lot of boxes inside of it. I love that. So they've got to be able to find out which box is the target area. And if they've got a lot of smoke showing and no fire, it's hard for a lot of people to find that box. You don't want them to have to go to room for room, you know, and find out that um, through the structure that they don't know what they're looking for. So essentially the first thing on that uh, list is hunt the intakes. So you're going to have the best, you're going to have the best idea of where the seat of the fire is by following the intake itself. So pop the front door, look for where the smoke is going to. So the smoke, essentially the neutral plane, is going to be exhaust and intake at the same time if we've got bi-directional flow. Then we'll just stick to first floor fires on okay. this one because we yeah. can go way down a rabbit hole. <laughs> no doubt. You know, but, so for first floor fires or the, fly, the floor that you're on and the fire's on, you'll have that bi-directional flow at the front door. Right. Um, and what we're looking for is where that smoke is going into the structure. So we're looking to find the intake to figure out which room is consuming that oxygen that you're letting inside by opening the front door. So um, hunting the intakes, your, your water is going to be best used in the intake, way better used than an intake than it is an exhaust. Um, so that brings us into the transitional attack idea and stuff like that. But we won't go that route yet. Yeah. You know, so yeah, uh, essentially main. I just wanted to find the fire room. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to find the fire room and how I can do that uh, firsthand by looking at it is hunting the intake, looking under the smoke, trying to figure out which room the air is being drawn to. Because the fire's hungry, man. It's got to sit there and consume. So as soon as we let cool, clean air in the structure, it's going to start moving itself towards that seat of the fire. That's one of the best ways to find it. Um, skipping the force to rebound with the stream, we'll do 360 with a tick, which should be my job as the company officer. So if you're a company officer and you're not doing 360s with a tick, you're uh, limiting your vision. So uh, Andy Starnes, one of my homies from yes. uh, uh, North Carolina, brought me in on that and kind of taught me what I was looking for with the 360 with the tick. So we use FLIR K65s on the rig that I'm on, um, and I have a mode that I can put that tick into, and Andy's going to be mad at me because I don't know what the mode's called. But um, essentially I can I can remove the fire mode, and it will be a mode on my camera. It's the only other mode I have besides fire that will show me the hottest portion of that area. So it's essentially not a certain temperature. It's just hotter than everywhere else. So if the building's buttoned up, I don't have fire showing, I don't have smoke protruding from a certain area, there's no, like, big sign with an arrow pointing, you know, this is where the right. fire room is. High-pressure smoke right here out of this little tiny opening, yeah, right. exactly. If there's nothing like that, you know, doing your 360 with your tickle will let you, at the very least, figure out what side of the building the fire's on. You know, whether we're talking Alpha Bravo corner, Charlie Delta corner, whatever. Right. You know, when I come back around, I can give my nozzleman an idea of at least which direction we're going when we get inside the structure. You know, so, and that'll give him an idea of where – he's going to start looking for that intake. Um, so force and rebound with the stream was the third line right there. So essentially when we get into uh, hit and move on the next slide, um, when we get deep into it, I want to force rebound from one room if now, it's a one-room fire. I want to cut you off and interrupt and say, because there was a bunch of questions about rebound on that actual thread. Can you explain rebound for people who do not understand the term rebound? Yeah, so essentially it's going to be the fire burping out of the room. So if you're not putting water on the seat of the fire, essentially what you're dealing with is a gas fire, which leads us into that next line item of the fuel. But as soon as you open your nozzle, the gas fire is going away because it's not being fed by a solid fuel. It's not a, there's not a 
a flame fuel interface, like a solid fuel would be. So, I mean, it's essentially the smoke that's igniting in the air. Okay. And as soon as you strike that with a nozzle, it's going to go away. But as soon as you move it away, if it's still being fed by that seat fire, it's going to rebound back at you. Right so, if I'm looking at a hallway with three open doors and there's nothing but fire coming out of this hallway, and let's just say, for best case, there's one room that that fire is emitting from, everything else in that hallway is going to be a gas fire. Right. So, as soon as I open my nozzle, if I'm not able to put water in that room to stop the seat of the fire, on the solid fuels that are burning, I'm essentially going to black that fire out in the hallway, and as soon as I shut down, it's going to come right it's back gonna out. It's going to come right back out. That's the rebound. Correct. That's the rebound that we're trying to find. So, okay. like I said, if I'm looking at a hallway with three doors and only one of the rooms is on fire, I can launch water in that hallway and, and kill the gas fire and then shut down. And then at that point, it's going to start burping back out of the room, the room of origin, which is the target room for us to go kill the fire. Right on. Well, we're going to get to that. So, yes. So essentially, that's what what I'm looking for for his baseline knowledge for him to be able to be away from me, because I mean, three man engine. I'm a plugman that wears a red hat. So at most of the fire until he hits the landing strip into the fire room, I'm going to be two to three pinch points back building his hose cache. You know, because if I don't do my job, the plugman is the unsung hero of the hose team. Right. You know, so nobody comes out. You know, after a fire, is like, man, who's that dude at the front door humping right. hose? Humping nobody. Hose. Yeah, nobody talks about that guy except for the nozzleman. The nozzleman knows what that guy did for him because if I don't do my job on that end, he doesn't get out of the living room. You know, so he doesn't even make the hallway if there's no hose cast built up. You know, nice. so as a plugman that wears a red hat, I, I can't be there to tap him on his shoulder and say, hey, open the nozzle, put it there. Right. You know, so I've got to be able to build that mind frame of being an independent operator so he knows. And I would rather be him be heavy-handed. You know, like I've talked about, I don't know if we talked about it last time I was here, I want my nozzle to be a little heavy handed, right? You know, I want him to open early and often. And then at a later date, I can pull the chains back on him a sure. little bit. It's way better you than know. the opposite. For sure. He's less likely to get jammed up if he's right. got water flowing around him, you know, and we'll talk about local cooling versus distant in this next one. Uh, but I want him to be able to know that I, it's not a problem for him to open the nozzle specifically right. if it's hot and he can't see and he can't find it, open the nozzle, man, huh. you know, and, and best case he's got that, surrounding area around him cool to where if something does happen if the big bang does go off around him he's got a level of um i guess you could say security around him with that water flowing right on in in that volume and is it is it howard or kurt i don't know which one because i I hate applying it but they say you can you can dry it out you can't unburn it yeah man it's kurt okay so you can dry shit out but you can't unburn it man (laughs) you know so send it all right, then, I'm going uh, to catch you up. Before, I'm gonna, before, before I unleash you some more, I'm going to catch you up on everybody because I want to involve uh, – you got quite a few already singing your praises. Moving to Kima Boardwalk in two weeks. That's Tristan. Uh, hello from Columbus, MS. Is that Mississippi? I get my I think so. All right, yeah, solid MS. dude that spits mad knowledge. Everybody better be listening in. That's from Joey Hayes. Uh, and good, I, I got to say this about mustaches because I'm sure it's going to come up. I don't know if Kyle, we gotta have we're gonna have to have a contest between Garrett and Garrett Rice and Kyle Ramagus. Oh man, on, on Chief best, Rice gonna smoke me. Best mustache in Texas. Oh um, man, there's no other mustache that even compares <laughs> to Chief Rice. It's uh, not even a contest. Sup, Tasha, my man, waiting for those knowledge. Christopher Ryan Syndicate, <laughs> uh, send it. We got pictures. Kyle, what beats the triple? I'm pretty sure that there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to reply. Getting back to my comments. I'm sorry, guys. Give me a minute. I'm bad at technology. 
It's funny because he hollered out my wife's name because my Facebook is now my wife's. No, I know. And then someone was shouting out to them. Oh, that's funny. Uh, here we go. I'm back to it. Uh, Fire Nerd from Joey Hayes. Tony Nunez says, I'm here. John Buttrick said, Kyle with like 16 E's. Leatherheads and Smoke Shields is on the air. Uh, okay, so out, here's the first question coming at you, and it says, what do you consider phases two and three? So I don't know exactly what he's saying there, so go ahead. So the way we're structured in our phase testing is three months per phase. So the first phase is going to be strictly engine work, okay. so stretches, flowing, protocols. Uh, Howard wrote for our department an engine company playbook, so which that is in there, the physical fitness um, protocols in there as well. So we're also having our new guys, instead of test the physical fitness policy, when they come in, because I'm sure you talked to Howard about that with the physical fitness requirements that we have, um, instead of them testing it coming in, because we found ourselves passing on a lot of guys that weren't really preparing themselves for our specific test. You know, guys get in the weight room, push 305 up on the bench press, but you ask them to do 40 sit-ups and they're, <laughs> they're you know, kind of right. slacking, you know. So yeah. it's an isolated test, so they got to prepare for it just like anything else. That's nice. So yeah. in that first phase right there, we give them the ability to – train on those particular um, numbers in their phase test to where they can test out at the end of their phase. So that's phase one. Phase two is going to be forcible entry, VES, um, I believe, uh, restricted passage with SCBA. Oh, man, Howard's going to be mad at me because I haven't memorized it all. And then there's protocols inside of phase two. Um, phase three is vertical ventilation, ladders, and extrication. And then uh, phase four is strictly driver and wildland. Nice. So that's how we structure our full rookie year. Right. You're in pencil the full year. You know, so at any point, if you fail one of those phases, you know, see you later. That's McDonald's awesome. is hiring. No, that 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 is awesome, and the, and the fact that you you actually rattled it off with a, a degree of competency. That's, that's yeah. And there's cool. a lot of protocols in there that I haven't memorized sure. in which order. You know, but I know the protocols, Howard. So don't be mad at me there. But I just don't know where they fit in the phases. He can he can he can type it up and post it here if he, if it's. That. I'm sure he's typing right now. You know, <laughs> his fingers are burning on that phone. Uh, okay, so there's that. Okay, I'm going to catch you up, and then I'm going to let you loose. I promise. Good to okay, see you, Kyle. No problem. Preaching the gospel. That's from Jonathan Reed. Uh, Gavin Reynolds said, reminds me of the mission of the USMC Infantry Rifleman. Locate, close with, and destroy the enemy. Go Semper Fi, bro. There it is. Um, yes, my favorite guy, the unsung hero of the fire ground, the doorman. Uh, the nozzle man Facts. is only as good as the doorman. Those are both coming from Luis Corona. Uh, Seth Good said, uh, small town, Virginia here. All right. We like it. Kyle. And I love this one. Okay. So Dan Bender, I love this one because he said, Kyle in quotation, the greatest note taker of all time, Romagus. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's how I met Kyle was strictly from the notes he took and posted on Facebook. And then have you seen the next level he's taken it to with the iPad? A lot of people haven't seen that one yet. Dude, That's amazing. So uh, the next, uh, conference you get to go to and see kyle take the notes you'll be amazed so all right shout out to my buddy rob fisher turn me on to that is that it that's where it came from so that's the 10 pounds of pressure guy so that's right all across the board it just keeps coming full circle brother i don't even know if i can keep up with all the comments here so i'm gonna try real quick and then we'll get going <laughs> solid create the bubble flowing water near to far then move the bubble through the structure listen to the water and be slow and deliberate on the advance when flowing don't outrun the water give it time to do the work that's from kevin mccart and my kevin, man there you go is it possible to prevent flashover by cooling the room even if you don't have any fire? That's from Marco Isom. Yes. Yes, I would say. Um, that's it, and that's going to the next slide over here. Um, but it's it. Well, I guess it's at the bottom of this one. I want to cool every room below 200 degrees before I pass through it. Love it. So that was a number that Andy Starnes uh, brought me up on from the Ignition Handbook. 
So the ignition handbook's a book about three grand. Um, he owns it. I don't. I wish I did. Uh, but essentially, the hydrocarbons that they're making all this furniture out of, they start to off-gas at 200. So at 200 degrees, the majority of what's in your in your building nowadays is off-gassing fuel. So I want to bring that temperature down below 200 before I pass through before it. You, yes. And it's hard for that nozzleman to know that temperature range, so I just want him to, as a SWAT team, clear that room. So everything gets water. Nice, nice. And that's just a great like thing is – What's it called? The walking around knowledge? Just walking around knowledge to know. Cool everything and then move on. That's right. Yeah. I it's like a SWAT it. team, man. That's you it. know, they watch watch movies and, you know, watch SWAT team work. They don't clear, you know, 30, 40% of the room before they move through it. It's 100% clear. And we should be the same idea or mindset as the nozzleman. We clear everything as we push through. So I'm going to throw the you – know, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Oh, go ahead. Garrett Toes, a uh, uh, huge supporter of Firehouse Vigilance, and he's always on here, and he has a great question here. He says, one thing I keep being told by my officers, and this is something that I've heard you know, recently even, is that you shouldn't flow water to cool the atmosphere because you'll drop the thermal barrier and steam out the room. But guys like you all, referring – I'm assuming to Kyle and his uh, – uh, say flow to make and take space. Can you talk about that and where I can find more info about it? Well, here's one raise, but go ahead, Kyle. So the thermal balance firefighting argument is a, uh, is an older one, you know, usually from old heads that come up with that. And it comes from the mindset of that low volume, high pressure nozzle that the vendors sold us on. And it could be uh, stemming from fight fires and burn buildings, you know, so what a lot of people don't really understand is that if you fight fires in connex boxes all day and concrete burn buildings, the water is going to react differently than in a wood frame structure. You know, so in a connex box, if you do three burns in a connex box, it's like fighting fire in a ship, man. So every single drop of water you throw at a wall or a door, it's going to make it real swampy. You know, it's, it's real swampy inside. The steam is going to be crazy just because the entire building is above 212 instead of a atmosphere that you're surrounded by that will actually return back to endothermic. So it's hard for me to, to turn a Connex box back into endothermic and keep it from being exothermic, which is putting off the heat. You know, so if I strike the walls of a ship, um, like Layman was talking about last time me and you were talking, um, he was steaming out the fire. You know, he's removing the oxygen by replacing it with steam at a low volume, high pressure, small droplet. Right. You know, but he drops um, the water. Correct. Right. So I'm not really concerned with disrupting thermal balance because, I mean, it doesn't really mean much to me at that point. You know, I'm flowing a high volume of water in a continuous manner, you know, and the guys that do penciling that you, you launch a gallon and a half of water in the atmosphere of 800 degrees, you're going to have some steam problems, you know, but if you flow a continuous flow, you're going to be bringing the entire room down continuously. Yeah. And contracting. Correct. Yes. Good, Garrett? All right, good. So thanks for hitting that. I'm sure Howard is good with what you said. McDonald's is hiring. Preach it. Godfather of the stair push. That came yeah. from Alex Needham. Uh, yeah. I'm going to catch you up, and then we'll go. So, Joshua, okay. if I can, I'm not even sure. There's you got so many people talking to you right now. <laughs> oh, Joshua, man, we're on line one of the first slide, so we got to roll. No, there's no doubt. Hey, unless you're in, uh, you tell me when you have to go because I'm on. No, I'm good. At 7 in the mornings when I have to report, so. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Paul Reswiber said, thanks for being approachable and taking time to answer questions, dude. And I, I mean that, uh, it means a lot that you will do that. So there's a lot that won't, uh, GG says watching from Florida. Will you be at North Florida fire expo next week? I will be, I'm not sure. Kyle, 
I will not. I just got a, a text from a buddy, though. I'm sending some swag out there. Okay. So buy some raffle tickets. Swag on the way. I will be there, so look me up. Uh, watching from Weatherby, Mineville, New York State. Stay safe, my brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm scanning through, scanning through. Uh, Garrett Tao said, thanks for that answer. I'll put it to good use. And Greg Wint said, I still know of a company officer that believes and teaches pushing the fire away from the nozzle team to keep them safe. And finally, flowing for the win from David Griffith. Okay, so we are caught up on comments. Back to the slides and locate. locate. Okay, so I'll get my Yeah, so we left off on locate. So the next one I want him to do is confine it. So like I talked about, the compartment firefighting in the residential setting is a box full of boxes. So we just got to figure out which box is burning. And what I want to do, and it brings us down to the objective next, is essentially I want to put water between fire and victims. Yes. You know, so I got to figure out where the box is on fire and put myself as close to that box as I can and stuff that, that fire back in that room. Right in that, yes. So in the absence of a opposite vent, I don't want to overpressurize that room, which is why our nozzle choice is so important and how we use that. Um, so I don't want to overpressurize the room and the entire mindset behind the fire exiting out of the room that it's in, in the first place is pressure and heat driven. So I want to bring down the pressure in that room by contracting the gases in that room and also bringing the temperature down in that room. And I do that with a continuous flow. So if I can put myself in a position to where I have a good angle on the opening that's into that structure, whether that be, uh, you know, an opening in a wall or a door or any, any type of, of way I can get water in that room, I want to use distant cooling. So that brings up that on the confining, I want a distant cool. So I'm going to be using my stream differently than I would be using it in a local cooling situation. Right. So a, a distant cooling. Essentially, I want to stuff a cork in that opening, and I want to keep that that fire in that room as much as possible until I can get chest in front of the fire, and at that point, or the opening at least. Right. And at that point, return back to local cooling, which is going to bring us to extinguishment. So I want to flow continuous, copious amounts of water into that room reduce pressure in that room that's keeping that's driving the the fire from moving from one compartment to another is that pressure driven movement and i want to bring down the pressure in that room by reducing temperature and contracting gases and how i can do that is continuous water flow into that room right so contract the gas reduce the pressure and then make myself some room and give my by myself some time to get to that point to where i can get to that 4 to 5 foot level which is where the problem is originating from. And that's where we're going to get into the fuels soon. But, yeah. yes, 100%. Uh, did you – are you the one who made the analogy of the upside-down house being filled? No, I was water? one of my I, – I put that out there, but okay. that was my battalion chief that told me that for the first time. So, shout-out to Chief Simmons. Okay. Uh, the first person that ever brought me up on that, and it just kind of blew my mind when he told me about it. I don't know who told him, so who knows. It may be like fourth party from some guy. Right, right. Essentially, heat and smoke is going to move through the structure as water would in a container. So if you were to turn the building upside down and pour water in the fire room, how would that water escape that room? So it's going to hit the the ceiling, which is now the floor. It's going to spread out and then rise and it's going to find the easy way out, you know, so it's going to take the easy way out and heat and smoke is going to do the same thing in a room. So it's going to go straight to the ceiling, which I heard it from you, which I know you got it from Simmons and and wherever he got it from, but I really want to build a plexiglass house, turn it upside down and put a water hose in it and then water er, food food coloring and then record it and, and then poke a hole in the roof or poke, you know, and, and. Well, that would be pretty cool because if you do that with like red food coloring or something, and then 
whenever you film it, film it upside down, and then when you play it, rotate it. Right side up. Yeah. Yes, 100%, man. I really want to try and do that. Essentially so. the same thing. Yeah. All right. Sorry. It's a complete yeah, man, no problem. side trick. So when I get to that room after I've confined it and I've stuffed it back in, because the last thing I want is fire behind me. So I want to kill everything locally that's around me, and I want to stuff it back in that room. So I don't want fire behind me, and that's why we clear every space as we go through. And we're kind of talking about worst-case scenario here. I've got 50% of the space filled with heat and smoke and possibly fire. You know, so there's got to be a hierarchy of decision-making there. Right. You know, so, you know, if if I've got, you know, a quarter of the space filled with smoke and heat, I'm not necessarily concerned with everything getting water. You know, but if I've got over 50%, which kind of brings us to the next slide over there, but um, it's got to be a higher. So don't anybody take away that I'm talking about – you know, flooding the the building on a beans on the stove on the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? So I'm preparing him for worst case scenario. Just sure. plan A's walk to the fire room. You know, it, every time I step off the rig, I'm planning on standing up straight, walking through the structure and finding a trash can on fire to put it out. You know, and it, the conditions that I find when I open that front door is going to take me from that plan A to B to C to D to E to F. You know what I'm saying? So the conditions in the building are going to drive these decisions. Sure. But um, and that mind frame of this. Go ahead. No, no, that hierarchy is is. I think what everybody who promotes to that position, who has to make those decisions, who has to tell those guys coming off those back seats, wants to know is is how do you get there from I'm going to walk in and you know to that and and yeah and that's what you're talking about and that's what people want to know and that's why I love having this conversation about these slides about it. Yeah, you got to have a hierarchy, man. You know so. You got to teach guys how to flow water in all positions, you know, so I don't spend too much time flowing water standing up. You know, I majority prepare them for flowing water crouched low or even on their belly if they have to, you know, for worst case scenario type stuff. But because, um, I mean, if you think about it, if I'm standing up flowing water, I'm probably not in need of the full 160 out of my seven eights anyway. So, I mean, we can half bail, we can quarter bail, you know, something like that for that size fire. But we're, it's just like conference-driven stuff. We want to prepare them for the worst-case scenario. Nobody wants to go to a fire conference talk about fires in a trash can. You know right. what I'm saying? So they're they're talking about worst-case scenario sure. fires. You know, I got an hour and a half with a guy, and I want to prepare him mentally and physically for the grizzly bear. Right. You know that he may find in the back back of that building. But uh, after we can find the fire, we want to extinguish it. So by distant cooling, um, I want to reduce the pressure, cause gas contraction, keep it in that room, and then when I'm chest in front of the problem. I use my nozzle differently than I just used it to keep it in the room. So distant cooling, what I usually tell guys is it's going to involve the top third of that doorway because that's where the pressure's exiting. So I want to put water in that room in that area of the top third because that's what I'm trying to contract right now. I don't have visual confirmation on what's burning in there, and I can't put water at that four- to five-foot level where the solid fuels are burning. Go ahead. No, are you saying on your approach you're trying to put it in yeah. that top? Okay, oh, yeah. making sure. Yeah. I'll be clear. So, like, I make the hallway, and I, I first spot the room, and that door may be this big. You know, oh, where's the camera? Maybe th- that door opening may be this big, and I want to be able to keep it into that top third. Okay. And the more I get closer to that room, it's going to start opening itself more and more and more. And once I'm able to start putting my eyes on or at least have enough sense to know where my nozzle sounds are to where I can see the opening in that room, either in my mind or in my and visually, um, then we start working that full door at that point sure. and start working on those solid fuels, which is generating the problem. The solid fuels are the engine. The gas is just the exhaust that's coming off of the engine. So we can't put ourselves in a position to start winning 
until I can put water on that flame fuel interface, which is causing the gas problem. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, dude. I can't wait to get the fuel, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and of course you're getting there, but yes, a hundred percent. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to chime in and let the, see if there's anything I'm missing here because I had a few, few comments come in. Um, can't wait for Kyle to drop knowledge in the fire. Don't care conference in Ohio. That's from Kevin Lamar. Uh, Howard Reinwalt chimed in and said hi with a waving emoji. So there's your chief. Um, hi, everybody. There it is. Uh, we got some info on Also, uh, Kyle Eiler chimed in and said, also understand fast GPMs is how you punch the situation in the mouth. Grab it, be aggressive, and make aggressive suppression efforts. Uh, save the citizens' lives, throw ladders, and be educated. Um, yeah, and then uh, Howard Reinwalt said door knob level. So... Uh, yeah. Combined gas laws, pressure and volume are the numerators. The denominator, the the dominator is temperature. We have control of this with adequate GPM and accurate water mapping. Three hundred sixty degree water. That comes from Dominic Dominiguez. Uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing names. Andrew Starn said, "Boom!" with an exclamation point. Thank you, Chief. Uh, and Kyle Eiler said, "Kyle, can we educate on water mapping?" So there's a question coming at sure. you. Hit it. Sure. So water mapping. It's all uh, dependent on the compartment that you're in so and what your intentions are. And that's the main reason why this, these whiteboard uh, drawings exist and all these this nonsense that poured out of my head in 15, <laughs> 20 minutes before I started talking is I want that man to be intentional with his nozzle. You know, one of the terms that uh, Andy brought me up on was screaming, shouting, spray water all about. You know, I don't want to be able to – I want to be able to tell him that he can be intentional with that nozzle and you're going to use it for different purposes, different ways. You know, so like we were just talking about distant cooling, distant cooling. I don't want to move that nozzle around a lot because it's in training air. I'm not in, in a position to start winning yet. So the basic mind frame behind air and water is water plus air equals good. You know, no water plus air equals bad. Right. So if I can't put water in a position to start turning that engine off. So essentially we're fighting. We're trying to stop the engine on a car by crawling up the tailpipe. So, I mean, I want to be able to to put myself in a position where I can put a cork in the tailpipe and then crawl up to that point where the engine is is running and kill the engine. Kill it. You know, and that's all we're doing. So, distant cooling, I don't want wide sweeping motions creating air generation with my stream. I want a laser beam focus on that distant cooling for that small area just to get water in the compartment because we're not in a position to win yet. And the intentions of that stream is to cause that gas contraction and drop the pressure in that room until I can get into a position where I'm chest in front of the problem now of that solid fuel, and then I can start working that room. Right. Because it doesn't matter how much air I'm pushing into that room if I've got water, copious amounts of water, onto the solid fuels there. That's when your pattern needs to change. So you know, they go over the O and the Z and the you know upside-down U or whatever they want to call it these days. But they don't tell people when and how to use those patterns, you know, because all those and as we're, we're finding out with the UL studies is just confirming what the right. other guys already knew. And the guys that make fire know is that if I rotate the nozzle in a clockwise manner quickly, I'm in training air and things start to get worse if I'm not putting water where it needs to be. You know, and if you don't have that fire experience or you've never been in that situation and you just read in a book. Well, uh, it's telling me to do it in an O pattern. Right. It's like, well, why are you doing that? The TZO, yes. Correct. You know, yeah. so, I mean, there's places for those those patterns, but 
you got to explain to guys the intentions of why and, and the after effect of what's going to happen if, you know, you do that in a hallway where you don't have access to the main body of fire and you don't have an opposite vent, you're overpressurizing that space, which is going to make things worse more than better. You know, so we've got to have intentions with our patterns and, and movements of the nozzle. And that's all of this is based on is making guys understand the intentions of why they're doing certain things, yeah. you know, so. I love it. I, I'm going to try because you are getting so many questions coming at you and we're, and we're moving very slowly through your white. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, man. Now, I got on, nothing but on time. Nozzle, on nozzle selection, I'm going to start right here and say quantitative approach to selecting nozzle flow rate and stream part one and part two. They're yeah. both in here. They're just. You get nerd out on part one. If you just want to go strictly to the water application and what the water does, part two. Part two. So part one is going through the science of like what Andy was talking about, about the 200 degree mark, kilowatts. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of nerdism in, in part one on generating the problem in the first place, which is the fire. And if you just want to go straight to the water and what the water does at those temperatures, go to part two. And I never you know, heard of it until I met my man, Kyle Romagus. So I just want yeah. everybody to know that. That's where I heard it from. I don't know where you heard it from and, and pass it back and pass it forward. Read it if you have any questions on nozzle selection, because that answers a ton of questions if you look at the data, which is now being uh, completely vindicated validated by ul and nist and everything else that's going on so with all that being said i'm gonna interrupt and come here with you got education on water mapping andrew starnes chimed in the room wasn't on fire however modern day combustibles begin to produce flammable vapors at 200 degrees fahrenheit and the majority of the american fire service leaves the front door open during fire suppression therefore we have fuel heat oxygen what do we suppose will occur as we advance towards the seat but fail to do anything to reduce the heat so, Chief, yeah. Chief Starnes uh, completely spelling it out there with the one, two, three. That's a triangle sure. we all should be familiar with. Um, here comes at you. It's from Robert McClellan says, I don't think this is on the board, but at some point, can you talk about your plan for retreating and what factors go into the decision to back out? Obviously, hopefully, we don't ever have to do this, but I feel like a lot of firemen don't have a plan for this. I would agree. I would agree that a lot of firemen don't have a plan for retreating with water flowing. Everybody's got a plan for retreating. You just drop the nozzle and run like hell till you find an exit. Sure. You know, but if you're not in a position to where you can leave that fire unchecked. So essentially we're being overpowered by the grizzly bear. Either we didn't bring enough or we're not putting in the right spot or even a wind driven situation, you know, so wind driven situation, um, you're not going to win with 160 and in, in a lot of in 160 GPM in a lot of those cases. If it's a, a true wind-driven fire, you know, it's a blowtorch. Right. You know, they've got studies in, in, of incidents from New York and Chicago, you know, where 265 GPM wouldn't win in a wind-driven situation in those high-rise fires. You know, but, um, yeah, uh, I would agree that, that you have to have some type of plan. Um, and depending on how your, your nozzle work is and what position you're flowing water in is going to set you up for either a win or a lose in that situation. But essentially what we want to do is, is a slow progression in the in the opposite direction with the nozzle and chest front. And the hardest part about the flowing retreat would be hose. I would say the the most problems that are having is trying to it's a it's a happy medium between pulling hose out of the structure and not pulling the hose out of the nozzleman's hand. You know, so I mean that's that's the biggest problem with with guy because I mean if you're on the retreat and we we put the white flag up, everybody's ready to go right now. And you've got to be able to Put yourself in a mind frame not that I don't want to rip that nozzle out of my nozzleman's hand, 
but I got to be able to to make room for his retreat as well. So it's definitely something you have to practice, and it's a cadence that you got to get used to. I have no doubt, man. And, and but hard for me to verbally explain that sitting in a recliner right now. No doubt about it, man. That, yeah. that that's a tough one because, and, and yeah. especially like low pressure packages, you know, the anti kink hose and things like that. It's just uh, everything comes with the, the trade off, you know, yeah. and, and it's hard to back it out sometimes. So um, Kyle Eiler said, "Slow moving and smart moving don't introduce unnecessary CFMs." Gustavo Salcido said, so in your neck of the woods, in beast country, with your response times, is ventilation a responsibility of the first engine company post-extinguishment, or is that task delegated to the next incoming unit, or does Chief Reinwalt take care of business on the roof? <laughs> if he had to, he would. Yeah, I, I know that's it. right. Um, so we haven't found ourselves in a situation to where we needed to vent before we entered the structure yet. Not saying we won't. But we haven't yet. Um, but with the ladder company that we put in service uh, this year, we're starting to get – because since 1962, my fire department's been all engines. You know, so we did truck work. It was just low on the – it was lower on the um, totem pole, so to speak, or the priority list because we didn't have an isolated company that specialized in that. You know, um, some guys were good. Some guys weren't. Um and honestly, really, with being manpower limited and task saturated, you know, you got to do what you can with what you got. You know, I run out of people before I run out of jobs 90% of the time. Love that. You know, um, quick water is going to be what's going to be best in most situations in our district. Um, but like Scott Corrigan says, engine work without truck work is brutal. Truck work without engine work is fatal. You know, so, I mean, if we put water on the fire without letting heat and gases out of the structure, it's brutal. It's swampy. It's hot. You know, it's difficult to search, but you cut a hole in the roof without putting water on the fire. Things get fatal for anybody inside, you know, saying so that coordinated action has to be there. And we're getting to that point now that we've got a a dedicated truck company, you know, but um, I've, I've got some buddies in Houston that tell me stories about guys that vent first. You know, the truck shows up with no water because they run real trucks out there. You know, not the trenchants that most of the country has. You know, they got no water. Got a, a couple water cans. A trenchant. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, so I mean, that's so much uh, better than Quint. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should just start putting trenchant on the side. Of I like it. it. So like, when I ride the ladder truck, we just got to drive fast. So if I drive fast, and I'm first in. I'm an engine. Right. You know, so big win on that side. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, there's some stories from guys in Houston that have cut holes and, and went in and searched as the truck because the engine was either on another call or coming from another district, you know, but uh, I think there's one in particular I'm thinking of. Howard could probably chime in. Um, I think it was Chief Phillips, uh, Mike Phillips from HFD, uh, showed up, vented, and pulled a couple kids out, you know. So he showed up and didn't think he could, and I'm probably going to butcher this story, but he showed up in the, the fire and smoke conditions warranted, in his opinion, that he needed to cut a hole before he went in and searched just to progressively to increase the speed and his abilities right. to search for those kids. So showed up on the truck, no water, went to the roof, cut the hole, searched at that point and pulled some kids out, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's situations for sure. It's hard to, it's, uh, if you judge by the results, it's hard to judge anything, but Hey, good job. No, yeah. Care. If you sure. put a fan in the door and pull people out, I'm all for it. Yeah, gotta be careful with that fan though. There man. is no That's doubt. Another I'm rabbit not, hole. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you pull people out, do it. I'm, I'm all yeah. for it. Fan's uh, a good way to find the fire though. If you can't find it, kick the fan on. It'll show itself. It'll show itself. <laughs> Howard Reinwalt did answer, and he said, "I cut all the holes. That's easy and can be done in conjunction with running command." So mm-hmm. there you go. 
True. All he's got to do is look on the backside and see the Charlie side. I didn't even the Charlie Charlie supervisor at that point. Uh, I'm looking here, David. Uh, I love the top one third for distance cooling and working it on the solids. Use that description with my new guys. Nozzle and nerd stuff. I love it. Badass chief. Love it. Practice, practice, practice. Um, I'm reading. I'm catching residential setting. Retreat to a compartment flowing and then isolate yourself to get to the window. And I'm, I'm catching up here. Okay, we're good. We're back to our. Uh, we are back to our notes. So, all right. So we left off on distant cooling. Distant cooling so, was where we were at. Yeah, distant cooling. The intention of that is just to stuff a cork in it. So I don't want big wide movements. I don't want to. You know, I don't want big huge sweeping motions because I've only got an area of this big to put that nozzle in. And then, like I said, as I get closer on the outside angle of that room, as I get closer, that doorway opens itself more and more. And once I have a big enough opening, then I'm going to start working that full doorway because I'm in a position to start winning. Now I want to be able to put water on the solid fuels. That's the ultimate goal is to locate the fire, confine the fire to a compartment, kill the compartment. That's the, that's the goal of compartment firefighting. And if I'm not in a position to kill the compartment, I don't want to make the problem bigger by having wide sweeping motions and right. training here. So laser beam focus. Um, so we're we're looking at with the UL studies that came out with about 1500 CFM with the smooth bore and the fog in a straight stream in position in in a steady position. But once we start moving that line, we get into the 5000, 6000, right. 10000, 15000. We're a positive you know. pressure fan at that point. Correct. Right. You know, the best form of positive pressure is an open nozzle you know, positive pressure ventilation, if you want to use it that way. And that's where guys need to get in the mind frame of your nozzle is not just a cooling tool. It's one of the biggest benefits of it, you know, but I can use it as a positive pressure fan. I can use it as a negative pressure fan to do hydraulic ventilation afterwards, even with a smooth bore, surprisingly. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, whip. yeah. Whip you know, distance, so man. For sure. You know, take the nozzle off and half bail. You know, and uh, my buddy Chris Edmondson taught me a trick with that. It's uh, going to be the loudest part of the best. So, like, if you take the tip off and you want to ventilate with a smooth bore and you want half bail, it's the loudest audible sound coming from the nozzle. So, as you open it and you half bail it and close it down, it's the loudest that stream will be at half bail. And it's going to be pretty close. You know, so if you're in lights out conditions and want to half bail that smooth bore, it's the best way to do it is listen for that. Just listen signal. for the loudest. But anyway, okay. Okay. I want to be intentional with the water. So distant cooling, my intentions with that nozzle is to reduce pressure, cause gas contraction, and to replace that space that's there with cool, clean air that's coming behind me. So I do agree with my man Andy Starnes on the door control if I don't have water there. And this is something that that me and him don't necessarily maybe see eye to eye with all the time. And it may just be that we need to sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, but uh, one thing I saw the other day that kind of blew my mind was a picture. Uh, and I'm not going to say the training group that put it out, but if you saw it, you know, it. it's a picture of a hose line into a building with the door shut on the hose line and the guy outside closing the door. Um, I guess it would be conditions driven there. So like if I'm entering a very large structure, that I don't have access to the seat of the fire quickly and I want to limit that airflow, uh, I, I could see that as an option for me. Um, but if I'm making three turns to the fire room, I want that cool, clean air coming in behind me. Okay. Because I'm immediately going to be bringing cool, clean air to any adjacent rooms that are around them. And, contract and, you know, and, and, and contracting as you go. 
Correct. You know, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to replace that, that air that I'm contracting. Yeah. That space that I'm reducing in that room. Now, for I clarification, want I want to ask: Is are you when you say large building, are you saying like a McMansion, like four thousand square foot mansion, or are you saying like big box store? I'm just just yeah, just for people I mean, listening. To me, that's a very similar building. Okay, you know, I mean, a McMansion no. with an open floor plan is a commercial fire. You know, what I'm saying if you're looking at a twelve thousand square foot McMansion, you know, that's low compartmentalization, it should be treated very similar to a commercial fire. Okay, you know, because the 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 layout of that building is very similar. You know, what's the difference between an auto parts store and a McMansion like that, you know, besides the fuel load, you know what I'm saying? So the compartmentalization is going to be very similar to that, you know, so you got to consider line choice and the reflex time it's going to take you to get from that front door to the fire room, potentially. Nice. You know, and, and ha- where you enter that structure is important as well. So like I always teach entering commercial buildings at the closest point next to the fire, the cl- the fastest path of least resistance to the fire in that large building. So like if a Walmart's on fire on the Charlie side, I don't want to bring the line through the alpha side of that structure. You know, I want to put myself in a position to where I'm closest to the seat of the fire as right. possible with water. And a McMansion's no different in that, that aspect, you know, so maybe side door, a side front door is not the best for all lines in a building like that, you know, but um, anyway, no, uh, I just want to be clear. I want to be clear on when we say large yeah. or small, it's, it's, it's a, uh, very relative term, but and, and once you explain it like that, it's no, it's no longer relative. So, yeah. So, like I was saying with air, you know, earlier, the easiest way to tell somebody is water plus air equals good. No water plus air equals bad. And I think that's where Andy's coming from on that door control is that if you can't put water on the fire, air is not necessarily the best thing you should be forcing into this structure. You know, and I agree with him a hundred percent there, a hundred percent. You know, so if I'm in a position to put water on the fire and make things better at that aspect, I want cool, clean air coming behind me. But if I can't, you know, if I'm five, 600 feet away from the seat of the fire, I don't necessarily want to positively charge that area right. with clean air, you know, cause it's going to cause me a problem. It's going to cause rapid fire development. You know, I'm not doing good things for that atmosphere, but we're talking about two different um, situations, I think. And I love Andy to death. Don't take me, don't take it as me, <laughs> you know, cutting him down. I just need to sit down with a cup of coffee and have a conversation with him. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I want uh, I want intentional nozzle work. So moving into extinguish, now I'm back to local cooling. So we've located the fire. I'm going to interrupt you, Kyle, real quick because yeah. David, David Griffith comes out and says, "Question: When you're talking going a long distance before getting to the seat, won't we have less of an effect from leaving the door open because of more obstacles slowing that airflow? More obstacles slowing that airflow in like a compartmented structure? I'm not sure. Is that what he means? Maybe he'll maybe he'll clarify here as we as we. Uh, well, if I've on. got a long distance to find the seat of the fire, I probably stretch strong, but let's just say we did. Okay. And what I don't want, so what's going to happen is I'm going to cool that area as I pass through it. But if right. I can't stop the problem, the problem that I just fixed is going to be replaced with a future problem. You know what I'm saying? Because right. it, it's still coming out right. and it's still going over my head. Yes. And no matter what kind of surface cooling or temperature reduction I can get in that space, if I don't move quickly to that seat of the fire at to that point, engine. everything I did is, is off or not. Right. You know, and that, that goes into the transitional attack mindset is that there's nothing wrong with outside water in the situation that requires it, but it needs to be followed up immediately with inside water. Right. You got to get it on the engine. Correct. Yeah. 90% of those fires that they did transitional attack on in the UL study immediately rebounded by the time they got up there. So, I mean, 
transitional attack in outside water may be a, a poo poo, you know, a uh, bad subject for people, but there's conditions to where it's warranted mm -hmm. and we can't just throw it all out as a bad study, you know, but I don't want to prevent it. I don't want that action to prevent me from getting inside inside where it's at for inside, right. inside water. No, but if I've got, you know, if I can't get inside force, bunch of trouble, hoarding conditions, wind driven fires, put water on the fire, you know, no matter where it comes from, but do it in a continuous manner to where it doesn't impede the inside water. It, assist in getting there now, i may sense. i may put together a whole a whole presentation basing fighting fire on an internal combustion engine where you can attack yeah. it from the exhaust and attack it from the intake attack from the carburetor and, mm -hmm. and that, that may happen at some point but i love the analogy so i don't mean to interrupt you especially on yeah. this when people ask questions i want to get them out there to make it clear for everybody listening so uh, sure. but we'll get back to the slides now so i'll quit I'll, yeah. i will interrupt <laughs> you but go ahead yeah no worries man <laughs> We're all so, in, uh, we're extinguishing local. We got to local cooling. So yeah. So I'm going to use that nozzle differently for local cooling than I did with distant cooling, because now I'm in a position to where I can win. I'm going to start killing the problem now. Right. So that leads us into the fuel aspect of it. Is that those solid fuels producing that gas and pressure problem? Ninety percent of them are at the four to five foot level. So now I can start bringing that nozzle down to that floor level. And it doesn't matter how much air I'm entraining in that room. I actually want to entrain air in that room, specifically if I have an opposite vent in that room. So if I've got a truck company outside vent that I can get them to pop that back window, I want to put air in that room at that point because I'm killing the problem. That's so Water huge, man. I mean, I, I, I want to be so clear on, on what you just went through there on when you get to the solid fuel the level it is at, and with an outside vent, how important that is, man. That you, yeah, man. Yes. Because it's going to do nothing but help me and train that air coming in behind me to right. create that. So we're reversing the flow path during distant cooling because the pressure, the heat is causing the, the products of combustion to leave that room. And as soon as we start reducing that pressure and, re and contracting those gases and replacing with cool, clean air, we're reversing flow path right. back towards the room instead of exiting that room in the exhaust. We turn the exhaust into the intake with copious amounts of water. And I want to—I try to get guys to understand that that can happen, and we're not always going to be like standing in front of a positive pressure fan and slowly walking up to the fire. You know, we're able to reverse that flow path with good water placement. And that comes back to that water placement and mapping. I want it entrained on that top third of that door. I don't want it moving all around that door because every time I come off that door, I'm going to have rebound. So every time I come out of that doorway, it's going to rebound right back out, of, right. out at me. So it's like six in one hand, half a dozen <clears> in the other. I'm taking one step forward and have to take two steps back there. You know, 50. So I fixed yeah. all the problem in the living room. And if I don't entrain that nozzle on the doorway, everything I just did is off or not because it's continually supplying that area with heat pressure and products of combustion. So we get chest in front of the doorway. I want to get in the door and offset of the door, and then I can start working that full room. So it, the intentions of that nozzle movement is different because I'm able to win now. I'm able to start putting water on the fuel flame interface at that point where the fuel and flame are touching and producing that higher, higher problem with the gases. Now I can win and kill the compartment. Right. You know, so the building is systematically, the fire is systematically taken over the building. And we want to systematically take it back in the reverse order. So if it moved from the bedroom to the hallway to the living room out the front door, 
we want to take it back from the front door through the living room down the hallway into the room yes. you know what i'm saying yes no i um, love gotta, that analogy man. i gotta fix that on the way you know so extinguishing the fire i want to start high and i want to move low so as soon as i make it into that doorway and get offset i want to finish killing the problem up top because if i'm in the hallway on a door and I, i've only got access to five ten percent of that room from that hallway and when i get into the room now i'm on plane with that room and right. i can access 100 percent of that room besides anything that's covered or shielded by furniture or closet doors or whatever sure, sure. you know but i can hit a vast majority of that room when i get in there so i always with local cooling start high move low and match the box which is all four walls ceiling floor i want water everywhere in local cooling at that point and once you get to that engine that's that point when we see that white smoke and we're so happy Correct. outside when we're that's right. with nothing but a radio and not a nozzle so for sure yes. and it's very important for an incident commander to know as well what that looks like you know so especially if you're hearing radio transmissions from the inside saying hey we got water on the fire and you're seeing nothing but you know black cotton candy chugging, pour out of chugging, this thing yes chugging black <laughs> yeah yeah nasty. Like, you got water on some fire but you ain't got it all <laughs> there's an you engine know, so chugging that's, yeah, it's super important for Chiefs to know what winning looks like from the outside. Ooh, that's and that's huge. what a lot of guys that's, that need That is to be huge. From. Yes. Yeah. Say that twice. Um, okay, sure. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to catch you up. Sorry. Guys, uh, I, no I don't mean to ignore you because I, I get absorbed <laughs> in me and Kyle's conversation and I forget everybody else out there. So, um, Travis Cooley said, One of the downfalls that I see with transitional attack is that it seems to be a crutch for ICs that aren't comfortable with allowing their crews to be aggressive. I agree. Spear-based tactics. You know, the scary boogeyman's inside. You know, Bonifield talks about the boogeyman a lot in his anatomy, the push class. And if you haven't got a chance to take Bonifield's class. Yes, I need to catch it so bad. Do it. You know, uh, he breaks down a lot of what we're talking about here. And you'll hear a lot of the same things coming from him because we've had long talks on Zoom, long talks together. We're actually um, doing a little compilation trying to put this information into – some type of order to where we can put an article together, you know, because nice. on intentional water. Um, but you'll hear a lot of what he says and what I say is very similar um, just due to the fact that it's what's happening. You know, it's it's what's taking place and what, what our goals are, you know, and the goals of a nozzleman, no matter who you hear it from, is going to be very similar. And the science is backing it up. You know, yeah. it's not like the science yeah, we're all is coming reading out the same paperwork. and saying, well, <laughs> Bonifield and Ramagus are wrong here. You know, it's not happening. Yeah. So, uh, Luis Manuel Corona said, we use more water during overhaul than during fire attack. What is your opinion? I would say you can. You definitely can do that. Um, I would say, and not to contradict what he's saying, because Luis is a homie, but um, undisciplined fire crews will, for sure, every fire. You know, some cases you have to. um, But what he's saying is the initial knockdown. Right. So, yeah, absolutely, I agree, 100%, Luis. Um, uh, and you can tell that from the UL studies. They're they're causing knockdown, not full extinguishment, but knockdown with less than 100 gallons of water, sometimes 150 gallons of water, you know, 500 gallons of water. Just depends on what size room they're in. These are rooms that have been brought to flash over. Right. These aren't fires in a trash can, you know, that they were studying. We're not in situ- These are rooms that have extended. Uh, Nick Navarro asks you, what about cooling your battery fuels, i.e. sheetrock, ceiling, carpet, in the hall prior to making the fire room? Do you hit those prior to hitting that top third of the door, or are you more concerned with just hitting up high? Correct. So that's what I was referring to earlier about returning those surfaces to an endothermic state. 
So for those of you who aren't nerds like me, endothermic means it's soaking in heat. Exothermic means it's putting off heat. So in the flashover situation, the box itself has reached the point to where it's no longer able to absorb heat and it's starting to push back and radiate. And if you ever get a chance, look up on YouTube, kill the flashover. It's uh, Andy Starnes and yeah. his dad. And his dad. I've yeah. done a lot of thermal videos on that. And essentially, it's radiate feedback. It's radiation feedback from the box. And like I was saying on the approach, what we talked about earlier, local cooling, I want to reduce everything below 200 degrees. And I want to match that box. And like it says, local cooling, match the box. So as we're passing through these areas, I want everything to have water because I want to return those surfaces to an endothermic state and keep them from being exothermic. So one of the things that I talked about with Dave Mellon not too long ago on his Q&A was that UL, and I heard this at a conference, and I'm not going to call the guy out. He told me because he probably got in trouble. But uh, he told it to 500 people, uh, so it's not just me. <laughs> but they had situations that didn't get put in the report that they had, you know, saturated floor and carpet that they could not get that room to flash in that experiment because there was water on the floor. The water flow? Okay. Yeah, there was water on the floor, and that room would not flash because of the water on that floor during that experiment. And I thought it was – and I hate to use the word irresponsible because I don't think they did it on purpose. It right. just didn't meet their criteria of what they were studying there. Right, right. I think, I think it's unfortunate that that didn't make it into the report, that no, people right. need to know that, that water on the floor has value. No you doubt know, it has it has extreme amount of value Water on in that area for sure. Yes, absolutely. Match the box. Everything gets water, you know, and if I'm pushing into a structure that has a high level of fire content in some part of the structure and 50% of that space that I'm passing through is smoke and heat, everything's getting water. You can dry shit out, but you can't unburn it, man. And I don't want fire behind me, you know? So if I pass through a room that's five, 600 degrees and I just, just, run through it real fast and don't do anything about it, It's it quite possibly could be a future problem for me, specifically with that door open behind me like Andy was talking about. Right. But right. I want to systematically cool as we pass through that structure in that situation. Hierarchy of decision-making. Beans on the stove doesn't necessarily mean that the living room gets soaked down. Yeah, you're not taking a two-and-a-half in there and throwing the, the... Correct. You know, that's where that hierarchy of decision-making <laughs> right. comes in, and it's all conditions-driven. Nice. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna catch you up. I promise. I, I doubt it because this is this is sponsoring so much. Uh, great podcast. A lot of excellent information being discussed and good questions being answered. Kyle, keep making the push, brother. So there you go. Uh, what about uh, we got that one in? I have many young, unexperienced firefighters on my department. I shared this link, and I hope they are watching. If they are not, we will be discussing and watching during lunch this week. This is great. Thank you. That's from Jones Stolstedt the third. Yes, man, you can, and it'll be on YouTube, it'll be podcast, listen to it wherever you can. Travis Cooley says, so basically, if you are throwing water with the cool air coming in behind you, then it is not a concern with fire behavior due to the reversal of the exhaust from the room. If you're putting water in the right spot. On the fu- on so, the engine. Yeah, there's only two reasons a fire won't go out when you're flowing water. Either you're not putting it in the right spot or it's not enough water. So either your GPM level is, is not being able to exceed the heat release rate and counteract it, or you're not putting it in the right spot. So I can float 300 gallons a minute in a hallway, and if I'm not putting it in the offset room that's on fire, it's going to continue to come out of that room. You know what I'm saying? The hallway may be tenable at that point, but the room, I didn't kill the problem. Right. You know, and that's that's the basis behind the stairwell push. 
is that the room is offset. Right. So if I'm in the stairwell and I've got fire coming down and around that landing, I'm offset from the room. I can't win where I'm at. And I don't want to crawl through fire. You know, so as soon as I open the nozzle on the stairwell, that gas fire is going away. But as soon as I shut it down, it's coming right back. The rebound is there. Yeah, because the water's not in the right spot. Right. I haven't been able to get myself in a position where I can put water on solid fuels, which is generating that gas problem that's coming out. You know, so it's the basis behind any offset push. And we can get into that when we start talking about flow and move if we ever get to the second if we slide. Ever, if we ever get to get there. <laughs> and, and dude, 100%, I'm on, your, I'm on your time frame. So No, I'm good, man. I'm uh, good. They're talking about Bonifield's class last night, which was I, I really want to catch. Yeah. It. I want to catch it live if I can, and I, I'm going to have Bonifield on the scrap at some point. Um, uh, if anybody knows Bonifield, let him know and let him know I want him on the scrap. What are your strategies? I'll text him when we get done. Uh, done. Uh, what are your strategies to estimate the stretch? Oh man, uh, you know, for my district, a lot of the times, seventy-five feet of hose will get me everywhere I need in the structure, and that's including the attic space. You know, but um, my advice would be to start pre-planning your structures. I'm asking a 75 to the door. You say in 75 from the rig. No, 75 inside. Okay, okay. So, and at that point, so you got to think about your hoses two different lengths. Like, so I've got travel that's a, that's hose. A, that's no setback if it's 75 from the rig. So I just had to clear. Oh yeah, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, 75 past the threshold. Fair enough. And then, and we're talking worst case scenario. I'm going to the Charlie side into the attic and coming back to the alpha side. Okay. You know, but and the majority of my structures, 50 to 75 foot inside, will get me where I need to be. But depending on where we are in my district, if it's my first due or, well, honestly, they're all crazy. They're all off the, off the map. So I've got 15 foot setbacks and I've got 80 foot setbacks and I've got hundreds of feet in setbacks. So you got to think about your hose as two different lengths. So if I've got a 200 foot pre-connect and I need 75 inside, I've got 125 feet to play with for travel. Right. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm pulling up on the building and I'm looking at the building as I'm passing it and I have a rough estimate that I need 75, 80 feet of hose inside that structure. Now I got to look and see how far. Right. So I've got to be able to put my known distances to work there and see if my pre-connect is going to get it or I need to go to the bulk bed or if I need to go extended line. So you guys got to get out of the mindset of thinking of their 200 pre- foot pre-connect is 200 feet. So you got buildings in your district that are going to take 50. You got buildings in your district that's going to take 100 inside. inside. And as soon as you see that, you have to totally and, and instantaneously subtract that from the line. Right. So if I'm looking at a building and I'm walking up to it and say, hey, I need you know 75 feet for the first floor, another 50 for the second floor, automatically I need to subtract that from my pre-connect length. And then instantaneously make a decision on whether I need to go long and bundle off of it or if I've got a long bulk bed. Or if I want to add both those pre-connects together to make 400, you know, it just depends on what their what their business is. But um, I would say that Steve Robertson has a fantastic class on estimating the stretch. Anthony Rowett, fantastic class on estimating the stretch. Kyle Samsing, fantastic class on estimating the stretch. So check those dudes out. There it is. There you go. So he points you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, Kevin Cripps asks. All right. Why is Slicer still being talked about? Just wondering your input on this tactic. Oh, man. <laughs> I almost didn't read the question, but. No, man. Uh, I can't tell you why it's being taught. Um, I would I would focus your energy on learning Recio and not worry about why people are learning Slicers. That's my, my best answer I could give That's you right now. That's a really now. solid answer, brother. 
So Recio is is definitely a big one for me because it puts rescue where it needs to be. And it might have it, it might have stood the test of time too. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So Recio puts life safety and rescues as not an action of opportunity. And man, we could go on this. So uh, rescue is not an action of opportunity. It's the mission. It is why you know? we exist. Correct. It's the mission. That's why in Recio it's number one. And we can argue about acronyms all you want, man, but. An acronym is just as good as the guy who's using it. So, I mean, you can give a guy slicers, and if he knows his mission is rescue, it ain't going to matter where the R is in that acronym. you know. But if you get guys that don't make fires and don't have a knowledge and understanding of the fire ground, and you just lay in front of them a piece of paper that has rescue at the end of the acronym, you know, you have to make sure they understand that just because it's spelled that way doesn't mean that R is the, the last thing you're looking at. You're right. And and, right. and and no matter what, there is nobody who's going to be crawling in with in with a with a nozzle in their hand who's going to crawl over a victim and be like, uh, "But I'm still on locate the flow path, so I'm not going to yeah. rescue this person." So, well, you got to be careful there. No, there's no doubt. The push, I want that nozzleman to push past that victim. There you go. So, you say for instance, we're on the line. Space. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, say we're on the line, and I got me and my nozzleman first do, and we crawl into the hallway and we find a victim. I want him to push past that victim. And put water between that victim and the fire, which leads us to our next line item. We're on getting our into a slide here. here. Okay, <laughs> I like the which transition. Is, yeah, which is put water between victims and fire. So you got to have a plan. If you haven't talked to your people on what they're going to do if they discover a victim on the nozzle, you need to. And my plan, and what I would I would recommend your plan to be, is if we have active fire in that area, I want that nozzleman to push past. So one thing that I prepare my guys with is I want him to tell me, "Hey, I got a victim." or some type of communication, which is, you know, whatever terminology you're using, bump up for victim. I got a victim. Ours is victim, 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 three times. So if I hear my nozzleman like say victim, mayday. victim, right. victim, yeah, exactly. If I hear my nozzleman say victim, 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 that means what he needs from me is about 10 foot of hose to push over that victim and get past and to make me some space. space. Right. Correct. Make me some space, and I want him to flow the shit out of that nozzle in that direction opposite of where we are. And we're talking about – renting that space like you correct you're gonna okay okay i love this yeah. man i he's love gonna this flow, he's gonna flow towards the direction of fire make me some room to work and i'm gonna make the grab at that point if i can you know so if i can't i want him to keep there flowing that nozzle until i can get somebody in there to help me with you know a five six hundred pounder or something but i would say the limit of that would be debris on top of the victim maybe they're wrapped up in something maybe they've got a large amount of debris on them um, or they're just, and I hate to use this term, but they're overweight. So, I mean, my limits on victims are going to be about 350 or so by myself. And we're talking moving them to an area. I don't necessarily have to drag them out of the structure. I got to get them out of that immediate area to where I can pass them off. A survival so, space. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So maybe duck into a room offset because radiant heat is line of sight, man. So if I can get them offset and if that's the best thing I can do for them is get them out of the hallway what I don't want to do is completely leave the fire unchecked. Right. Especially if it's in that situation. So, and especially with, uh, you know, what's killing them anyway is the gases and correct. Yeah. So when you're, when you're shrinking and contracting that, as you push it back into those compartments, which if we get to it, we're going to get to, uh, yeah, is what you're doing so with that nozzle. I'd say my personal limit is about 350 pounds that I can't move at all. Right. So over about 350 pounds in a tight hallway with, with, you know, 95 pounds of bunker gear on for myself 
I would say that's approaching my limit on what I can move by myself without some help. Sure. Um, and at that point, I would need somebody to come in and help me move that victim. But 150, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, no problem. You know, we're, I'm dragging that victim out into at least the living room to meet the next incoming crew. Or if I have to drag them to the threshold, my driver can drag them out from there. You know, but whatever your plan is, nozzle flowing, if that is in that situation. So we breach the front door and we find a victim five feet in and there's no fire problem. Well, hell yeah, put the nozzle down and help your captain pull them out right quickly. On. Right on. You know, but if we're deep in this building and we got fire licking in front of us, I need that nozzle flowing. Yeah, you need that space. Correct. Yes, I love it. So situational. 100%. Water between victims and fire is our objective. So that leads us into that. Right on. So water between victims and fire. So next up, we're moving into fuel. So I want them to understand where the fuel is coming from and how it reacts to the water. So the solid fuel is 90 plus percent is going to be at the four to five foot level. And I have to cool that solid fuel to cease the gas production. That's what's burning. And we're not talking about a gas uh, line that's on fire or anything like that. We're talking about residential fuel fires. So that solid fuel inside that building is what's producing it, the engine that's producing the gas problem. We're talking about so the mattresses. Go, we're talking about the IKEA furniture. We're talking about yeah. the, the books, the computers, the electronics. Correct. Yes. And the majority of that's going to be at the four to five foot level, yes. which they have to understand. And I see it most of the time with garage fires where guys go wrong. You got three cars in the garage, and then guys enter the garage and they're sweeping high. You know, it's like the Volkswagen's on fire right there, bro. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sweep the, the, the top of it all you want, but you're not going to put the problem out unless you bring that nozzle down to that level. You know, so they have to understand where that fuel is originating from, which is the solid fuel at that four to five foot level. Right on. And that's why that local cooling involves movement of that nozzle differently than distant cooling, which is up. So local cooling, chest in front of the actual problem, I want to match the box. Floor, ceiling, wall, wall. Everywhere gets water to where you're going to start winning at that point. So and the you're gas stopping, problem, like you said, once you start hitting the solid, which is ninety percent of it, you start correcting the gas production problem. Correct for that compartment. You may have two, three rooms on fire, but for that compartment, that's how you kill it. You're going to kill it at the four to five foot level because you know nobody hangs their furniture up on the ceiling level. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's in that four to five foot level. And I can't say nobody, I guess, but yeah. maybe some weirdos out there. But if you doubt this, just walk through your house and look around and see how much stuff is above five foot. Exactly. That's it. So, yeah, you got to put water where the, it's coming from. At that local cool, that's the intention. The intention of that nozzle at that point is to stop the engine. It's different from the intention of that nozzle in the hallway to stop the contract or start the contraction of gases and keep that fire in the compartment. Stuff a cork in it. That nozzle movement is going to be different, has to be, than in that local situation where I'm moving completely around and it doesn't matter how much air I'm in training in that point because I'm killing the problem. Does that make sense? Uh, Dude, yes. This is why I wanted to have this conversation because I think the American Fire Service needs to hear this on repeat and share it with everybody they can share it with when they say that Ninety percent is at the four to five foot level, and that's where the point where it doesn't matter what you're doing with that knowledge. If you get to that point, you're fixing the problem in that compartment. Correct. You're in a series of decisions, and the good thing is, the decision's only two. It's one of two. Where's the problem? Is the problem a gas problem, or is it a solid fuel problem? And I'm going to use that nozzle differently in both of those situations. 
So I can't expect to stop a gas problem in a hallway by flowing water at the floor continuously. I want to sweep the floor to keep, you know, hot water off of me, debris, push it away, yeah. try to find a, a sonar for any furniture or people that are in the way, you know, stuff like that. There's and all you, sorts of reasons. And you, you can talk about it, spotting a door, spotting, you know, uh, using that sonar to spot that door. I love Correct. that. Correct. Yeah, headhunting is what yes. I refer to it as. Yes. So, Go ahead. Yeah. For those who don't know, I want you to explain it, please. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get okay, there. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. <laughs> So solid, 90% is at the four to five foot yeah. level, cool to cease the gas problem. If you get on the Correct. solid fuel, you cease the gas problem. Now, if it's gas, Correct. go ahead. I'll quit talking. The gas problem is the smoke. So, and as we know, the, this generation of the fire service is less likely not to understand that smoke is fuel versus the older generations yeah. because smoke wasn't necessarily a huge part of the fuel in the 60s. Yeah. Don't spray 50s, water in that smoke. Fuel. Yeah, exactly. That's where that mind frame comes from, that thermal balance firefighting my man asked about earlier today. So their smoke was different. You know, their smoke didn't contain, it wasn't frozen gasoline like we have now. You know, there were there were areas of the country and building types that had that hydrocarbon smoke. But the majority of that legacy firefighting consisted of smoke that was, had a different content. No doubt. Than what we had, at least the percentages. It wasn't the floating diesel fuel, in there. right? Go ahead. It wasn't floating diesel fuel back then. Correct. Yeah. So at that 200 degree level, we're starting to throw gasoline inside the structure. You know, so we want to stop that by reducing that 200 degree mark. So smoke is fuel and it's being produced by the heated solid fuels. And that smoke or heat or gases is going to move from high to low pressure. So as we increase the pressure in that room, it's trying to escape that room. That's what brings it out in the hallway. So that room has been overpressurized. The hallway is less pressure, so it moves from high to low pressure. It takes the easy way out. So it's moving from high pressure to low pressure. As soon as the hallway gets that high pressure, it moves from the hallway into the living room, and it takes the easy way out. Black turbulent smoke, which is fast-moving and angry-looking, and I describe it as black cotton candy. It's that yes. smoke you feel like you can reach up, grab it, and put it in your pocket. That is black fire. And it will soon be fire with the right oxygen mixture that we just gave it at the front door when we opened it. So we've got to use that nozzle to bring that smoke down to that level to where it's not explosive anymore. Because it may be rich as all it, all it right. wants to be. We can have that fuel-rich area, but without the air, fuel, and heat, it's not going to explode into a rapid-fire event. So I want the air coming in behind me if I'm flowing water to cool that rich fuel that's present there, because I can't, you know, take the rich richness out of the fuel, but I can reduce the temperature and I can do that immediately with my nozzle. Right. Does that make sense? No, hundred percent. Okay. So moving into water, water, water takes, makes and maintains survivable space. Bottom line. We want to use that nozzle to make room for our prior arrival. So I want to make room with that nozzle and reduce that temperature so I can move into a space and own it. And we'll start talking about that when we're referring to renting versus owning when we get into hit and move. But I want to use that nozzle and the reach of that nozzle to my advantage. So you've got, with an inch and three-quarter, 50 PSI, 7 eighths tip, flowing 160, you're looking at a 50 to 60 feet range on your reach or so. before right. you, And it's, it's debatable where the breakover is and what's usable reach versus just distance reach. But bottom line is doesn't matter if you're arguing about 50 to 60 feet, I've only needed eight foot in the living room, you know? So, I mean, it, the max inside of a structure you're looking at is about 25 feet or so 
and on the long end of that reach. But I want to use all of it. I want to use the full potential reach of that stream to start making room over in those areas so I can move into it and own it. So it takes, makes, and maintains survivable space. So when guys start talking about survivability profiling, just understand that when we show up in the driveway, we're already late. We're late to the game. Fast water in that area will remove that problem. You want to be safe inside of a building? Open the nozzle. That's how you be safe in that building. You know, I've read a lot of line of duty death reports in my time with guys on the nozzle. And guess what position that nozzle was in? Closed. Right. You know what line of duty death I've never read? And this is from Aaron Fields in one of his lectures. Johnny drowned in the living room because he left the knob on too long. I've never read that line of duty death report. Right. You know, but I read a lot of line of duty death reports. And Kurt Isaacson has a great class called Death on the Nozzle. I would recommend it to anybody that's able to take that class. Kurt's class, he breaks down the line of duty deaths, uh, the NIOSH reports of the, of the specific ones on fire attack crews with the nozzle in their hand. And I would recommend that to anybody. But anyway. Real quick, take, real quick. I got to yes, interrupt sir. you, Kyle. I got to say, guys, no. do not acknowledge this guy. He just wants he wants attention. Um, I do not know how to ban anybody yet, and I'm sorry that this is going on. So just oh man, we got a hater. Do not acknowledge him. I don't even know why he's here. So please do not acknowledge him. Don't acknowledge him. I will delete him as they come up. Let Kyle talk, and uh, we'll go from there. Sorry, Kyle. Is he mad at my mustache or what, man? I don't even. I think he has a. uh, I would say probably a small penis. And oh man, well that's pretty much it. So. We'll go from there. Anyway. Hey, we can't all be winners, man. That's there's cool. no doubt about it. Yeah. So all right. Anyway. So uh, moving into the water, prevent flashover by flowing copious amounts of water continuously when necessary. So I don't want to protect myself from a flashover, and I want my guys to understand that I don't want them to use that nozzle to protect themselves from a rapid-fire event when it occurs. I want them to prevent the rapid-fire event from occurring in the first place. And how they do that is with copious amounts of water in the direction of the seat of the fire, or at least in the room with the seat of the fire is best case scenario. So we want to prevent that rapid fire event from happening in the first place Yes, by cooling locally around us, making our bubble and pushing that bubble out as we progress through the structure. Reduce the temperature of every single space we go past through below 200 before passing through it. And this is a quote from my man, Ray McCormick. Don't be stingy with the solution. That's you got it, the solution man. in your hand. You hold it in your hand. That's right. You got Love the off it. switch. It, if the off switch is in the off position, it's not going to help you. You got to have that off switch in the on position, and it'll help you with everything. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. That's uh, all right. I know you cannot see everything, but it's great. Kevin Morgan, I love you. He said, Ron wipes back to front. And that pretty much sums it up. Right here, you have so much love coming at you. Um, speaking of stream reach, in your opinion, how important do you believe it is to maintain the Freeman ratio? The Freeman ratio? Yes, sir. For stream reach? Uh, I would say the Freeman ratio has a lot more to do with uh, velocity. Um, so when you're talking about uh, oversized tips for undersized lines, you know, but the Freeman ratio is definitely something to take into account with the, with the smoothbore. But the velocity of the stream is going to determine your reach of the stream. So if I've got a seven eighths tip flowing twenty at the nozzle, my my reach is going to be different. You know, it's meant for eighty five feet per second, which is right. fifty psi at that point. You know, and the, the nozzle pressure itself is what's going to determine that stream reach. But yes, Freeman ratio super important uh, for the design of the hose. Um, definitely causes less breakup. You know, I will say straight up, Kyle. I apologize. I've never had 
this much uh, disruption from the audience as the guy has caused today. So I'm not, I'm not sure how to deal with it. Cause I really thought I could just ban somebody and I am not able to do that. So oh, man. please, no worries. please forgive me as I get going with That's it. Cool. Um, fire is continuously taking over the building. We're heading to slide two. I, I'm believing. Yeah. Don't be stingy with the solution. One of the greatest answers of all time. You hold it in your hand and yeah, go homie Ray Mac. That's it, man. And again, another person between Bonifield and Ray Mac guys that need to be on here. Um, Slide two. Are you ready to talk about it? Yeah, man. The All fire right. is systematically taking the building over. So we want to one compartment at a time. So like we were talking about, a compartment fire is a box full of boxes, man. So it's a big box with a bunch of little boxes. And just because you had a flashover in one room doesn't mean the flashover can't occur in the hallway and the living room as well. You know, so you have to go on your mind that just because and you got to get out of the idea of, you know, the fire's flashed over, so it's not going to do anything different now. Well, that room may have flashed over, but the hallway may not have. The living room may not have. The side bedroom may not have. Right. You know, so just because one box flashes over doesn't mean they all do. Sometimes they all occur at the same time. You know, but they can progressively flash one box to another. You know, and you got to kind of kind of think about that as well. But essentially, the fire has systematically taken the building over. So it started in the bedroom. Let's just say it started in the bedroom. As that pressure increased in that bedroom, it moved into the low pressure area in the hallway hallway moves to the living room living room moves to the threshold we want to do it in the opposite order so we go through the third threshold we take the living room over we move to the hallway we take the, the hallway over we move to the bedroom you know so we want to systematically take that building back in the reverse order so as it says locate the fire confine it to the compartment and kill the compartment and repeat over and over again compartment firefighting is not rocket science a lot of guys make it out to be but essentially we want to take the compartments over one at a time you know, so locate the fire, confine it to a compartment, kill the compartment, repeat. That's essentially what we're doing. So, and that's more so for multiple room fires. Right on, right on. Um, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, no, I'm pulling my slides. The fire is continuously taking over the building one compartment at a time. We systematically take it back in the reverse order. Locate the fire, confine it to a compartment, kill the compartment, repeat. Man, that's right. dude, if you can... In- <sighs> yeah, I wish I would have had that in my rookie class, you know, like 24 years ago. So uh, well, that's the problem, you know, with the manuals that we have. And it's not necessarily the manual's fault. Well, some of it is. Most yeah, of it yeah, is. I would say, anyway, yeah. uh, so, I mean, it's hard to, to break that down into words for somebody that that's just reading something. You know, even with this slide right here, if they were just to read that slide and nobody explained it to them, you know, it's it's hard to – take something like that and visualize it if you've never been in that situation or you don't have any idea of what that situation looks like. And one of the things I want these guys to know is that day one coming in, they may have just been in training fires in their fire academy, and those fires act differently than the fires that are inside of a residential structure with combustible walls and ceilings that aren't in concrete boxes and shipping containers. You know, those fires are going to act differently. And you have to be able to put them in a mind frame to, to digest this information to be able to use it at three o'clock in the morning on their, on their first shift, 100%. which moves us into, into nozzle movement. And yeah. I only did it to go ahead. No, no, I want to hear, this is the part that I'm, I'm like really excited about too, besides so, everything else we've already covered when we get yeah. to hit and move versus flow and move and, and why it matters. And this goes into the hierarchy of decision-making, man. It's all conditions driven is that with the, with the conditions you find in the building is what's going to determine where you are at that hierarchy. And what decision you make has to be intentional, you know, so scream and shout and spray water all about 
it may work a lot of the times. But when you get that Walmart fire, which is a term that I heard first from Kevin Story from Houston Fire Department, and it's not a fire in a Walmart, it's the fire that's so hot and beats you down so bad that you wished it you work at Walmart instead of the fire service. Right. You know, it's that Walmart fire. A lot of people haven't been to that fire. And that fire requires that nozzle to be placed in specific positions to win. You know, that offset fire that you can't access from your area that won't go out. And a lot of guys, they count failures as successes a lot of the times. A lot of guys have made fires that they've been pushed out of that if they just really take a look at those fires, they would understand why they got pushed out and how they could have positively taken that situation over if they had a little different technique or a little different nozzle placement. And I would recommend anybody out there to get a tick that records. So one of the things that, that's very beneficial for us is that being able to look at the tick footage after the fire. So in the heat of the moment, you ask five guys that were on the fire on the first end and second end lines, and they're going to get five different stories because they were in five different areas of the structure. Right. But, you know, when the lights go out, the tick always records. And the biggest problem with guys in ticks, like Andy says, is getting them to get it off the truck in the first place. There's no doubt. You know, so you buy them a $10,000 piece of equipment and then leave it on the dashboard. It doesn't no good, you know, so you got to get them to bring it inside the building. And another, another thing, the next thing you got to get them to do is put it up and actually look through it, you know, so, um, ticks that record definitely fill in pieces to the puzzle that aren't necessarily available in the thermal range of things. And you got to put yourself in a position to really take a hard look at every fire you've ever made especially the the losses and try to figure out why, you know, why did we lose here? You know, could we have done something different and the helmet cams, the tick footage that all comes into it. So anyway, 90% of what we do on the fire ground is going to be hit and move. When guys see guys flowing water from the threshold to the fire room, that's worst case scenario. And you need to understand that, that it's all conditions driven, but I would say probably 90% of what we do, and the fires that the majority of people are going to make are going to be hit and move. And they have to understand why. Why am I doing this? It's an intentional decision to, to perform hit and move versus flow and move. And these are just a small amount of the reasons why we would do so. <coughs> so starting with hit and move, number one, I want to locate the fire by forcing rebound. Like we talked about earlier, I want to launch water in that hallway to see where it comes back from. Or I want to use my nozzle for local cooling in that immediate area that I'm in and see where that rebound comes from, whether it's coming from the left side, the right side, in front of me. You know, I want to be able to use that, and I can't force that rebound if I'm continuously flowing water. So I want to launch some water in the atmosphere, push it back, shut it down. Okay, okay. That's right. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. And at that point, I'm forcing that fire to rebound back from a direction. And And that direction. Get your information from that rebound. Correct. Correct. So directional information. And this is all with the mindset that I can see and I can also feel. So guys that get into burn buildings and concrete buildings and shipping containers, it's hard to feel directional radiant heat in those situations because the walls are are emitting heat. Everything around me is emitting heat. So it's kind of tough until you get in those training fires. You have to be pretty much real close to the fire like within three to four feet before you can start feeling different radiant heat from directions. But in a building fire with less amount of heat and the walls are endothermic versus exothermic, you can feel that radiant heat sometimes, right? right. Sometimes with, through the mass, through the, the, um, 
thermal protection of your hood, you know, um, and it's not a really a good plan, but it's a plan. You know, I don't want to sit in the living room until, and wait until I can feel the heat, you know, but sometimes I can feel that radiant heat. So I, I can access the seat of the fire where I am right now. I'm looking in a hallway and I've got a room at the very end and I can access the three to the four to five foot level right now that that you're worried about. Yes, correct. I want to open the nozzle and launch water in that room in copious amounts and work that nozzle into that room because I can win from where I am right now, shut down, move in for the, the final extinguishment. So I want to flow and move, but I can't due to obstructions. So I've either got debris in the way, hoarding conditions, Maybe I've got a couch in the way or something like that, and I want to rent that space ahead of me so I can move into it and then own that space. So if I'm in the living room and I've got obstructions in the way from the hallway and I've got fire blowing over my head, I don't want to just walk under the fire at that point and leave all that behind me. I want to fix it. I want to fix all of that and launch water into the area that I'm moving into to prep that area for my arrival. So I want to rent that space before I'm able to move into it and own it at that point when I get there. I'm going to ask you a quick question because uh, Kyle yeah. Medley brought up a uh, – uh, no, I'm sorry, Matt Sleet. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm trying to get it right. Oh, that's my homie. Matt Sleet said, are you seeing the rebound without a tick? With modern gear, there's a delay with feeling heat until you may be too far into it. So Correct. Both of those statements are correct. So, <clears throat> And this is all – with the forcing the rebound, you're, you're really relying on visual cues. And in a lot of areas, you're not going to be able to see that that visual cue for a lot of a lot of times. And I would say the majority of the time, the closer you are to the intake of the front door, the the better visibility you're going to have. Right. Um, so the farther you move away from that intake, the less you're going to have that visible visual visual cue there. So you push um, into your standard bungalow type. You're in the living room. You hit it and you stop. You see the push, but you, you can see the rebound so much easier in that scenario than you correct. can. Yeah. Okay. And if I have the ability to have my company officer there with me with the tick, or if you have a personal tick, so my fireman carries a tick, it's a K1, maybe a K2, but that tick is not a situ- – it's a situational awareness tick, as Andy will talk about. You need to get Andy on this show to <laughs> no, talk about that. No, Andy, yeah, he, is, he has gone into the difference between the situational awareness yeah. and the – But that tick is small enough and effective enough for my, my fireman that wears it on his air pack can launch water in that area and then throw it up in front of his face. If the left side of that scream is red, you know, big red truck, the fire's on the left. You know what I'm saying? If the right side of that screen he's looking at, and we're not looking at definition in that tick. I'm looking for areas of concern for thermal areas with that tick that he has. Right. My tick is way more detailed than his, but at least it can give him an idea of that. Of that situational um, awareness, which, you know. Correct. Yes. Correct. But, yeah, I agree 100%. You know. A lot of that forcing rebound is going to be relying on visual cues that you may not always have. So the tick will help out with that. And then the radiant feedback from that area will help you that as well. But I agree. You don't want to just hang out and wait for the heat to start feeling it through your gear with the TPP ratings we have right now. Yeah. Timothy Hartley asked, do you have any tips? And this is, this is on topic, but off topic. Do you have any tips or ideas for training on the push? If your department doesn't have a training build or any designated area to practice. Oh man. Pallets. Go to your Walmart or, you know, uh, a garden center or a place that accepts shipping a lot that has a lot of pallets and just stick pallets up on the end. Pallets and two-by-fours, man. You don't have to have a building. You know, all you need is is walls in order to funnel yourself into and create pinch points. Yes. And 
you know, parking lot drills have a place, but I would say the limiting factor with parking lot drills is it allows guys to move a lot faster than they're really going to be able to move. So, um, a buddy of mine calls it parking lot syndrome and he can always tell when they come through for his drills that they've been drilling in a parking lot their whole career because they're moving, you know, 50 miles an hour to the building and they're not letting the water work. They're not letting their backup man actually pull hose behind him. And they're used to working in buildings that are empty and you flying, know what I'm saying? And, and, not right. yeah. and, and, and not just the pallets you can get, I, you know, six months ago, it was even better OSB and two by fours. Now the lumber prices are through the roof. So yeah. uh, it's a little bit different now, but uh, you can, you can throw together some uh, four by eight walls and build your own mazes. Um, even uh, throwing this queen across the top, fake smoke. I know um, smudge pots, if you're good at it, but uh, there's a lot of ways you can overcome the lack of, but it really is about, and I, I, I'm not to step on it's, it's about the mindset more than it's about the uh, facilities you have. If Correct. you're willing to overcome the challenges, you can you can face the challenges. So if you've got a wall on your firehouse, you've got half the hallway already. There it is. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, use the wall of your firehouse if you can, and just build one wall. You know, at least you can build a hallway out of it. And then if you've got access to the back end of the trolley side of your, so if you've got access to the Bravo and Charlie side of your fire station, and you can flow water against the sides, you've got a right hand turn. Or a left-hand turn if it's the Delta Charlie corner. You know what I'm saying? So you just got to be inventive with some of that stuff. All right. So we'll finish out. We got flow and move. Hit and move. We got renting a space so I can move into it and own it. Head hunting. Yeah. So head hunting is using your nozzle as sonar. So if I can't see and I'm looking for a hallway or a doorway, I'm going to bring that nozzle up chest high. And that's what I refer to as head hunting. Gary Lane uh, refers to it as a sound check. You know, essentially, I want to bring it chest high and sweep. And what I'm listening for is I'm listening for that nozzle to fall away. So a lot of guys, they get in the habit of doing that in a burn building or a shipping container, and it's going to sound a lot different in that shipping container or the concrete burn building. So stream sounds are hard to drill with in a drill tower that with metal walls or a shipping container or a concrete building. Type but if you're able to get an acquired structure, you'll really be able to, to zone in on those stream sounds. So stream sounds is the key. It's the only means of navigation for the nozzleman without visual cues, without a tick in front of them or the ability to see. So stream sounds will tell you everything. It's your sonar, man. You know, so what I'm doing is I'm trying to find an opening and that opening will lead me to where I want to go. So if I'm looking for a room on the left side of the structure and I enter a hallway, I'm either looking for a door or a hallway. Or if I enter the living room, I'm looking for the door to that room or a hallway that leads me to the door to of that the, room. Right. So the hallway is just a long door. So they're both going to sound the same. And the only difference between that and a window or a cutout like on a uh, wall that separates a living room from a kitchen or something is sweep the floor in front of it. So if I find an opening, so if I bring my nozzle chest high and I'm head hunting and I go from chest high right to left or left to right and I sweep that chest high and I want it chest high because I want to hit furniture. You know, so if I hit furniture right in front of me, it doesn't tell me much about the distance of something else. So I want it chest high, up high, and then sweep that left to right. And I'm listening for that nozzle to fall away from me. Right. And when I hear that nozzle fall away from me, I want to check the bottom of it. Right. So the difference of that sound between a window and a door is that a window has another wall under it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it if won't I be sweep the fall away under a window. Correct. Right. You know, so if I find the fall away and I entrain my nozzle on that, sweep the bring it down and sweep that floor in front of it and if it still falls away that's either a doorway or a hallway, hallway. 
which is going to lead me to that artery to lead me to where the direction I've traveled. No, and that's huge, man. That's huge. Because when you're in the thick black, no visibility, man, that is, unless you got a tick in front of you, that's the only way you're going to find it. I mean, you could bumble around enough to try to find it, you know what I'm saying? But I want to be able to have a better way to tell my guys how to find that stuff. Yeah. Howard Reinwald chimed in and said, blind man stick. That's right. There it is. Yeah. Bonifield talks about it as his blind Uncle Jimmy drill. So Bonifield's got a blind Uncle Jimmy, and that's how he walks. He walks with that cane out in front of him. Tick, tick, he probes tick. out in front of him. You know, and it's essentially a, a 50-foot cane, you know, that I can use. It's right. a 25-foot cane or an 8-foot cane that I can use out in front of me. Whatever you want you to know, call so. it. But, yeah, head hunting, Correct. and then come back yeah. around to check to see if it's a window, it's an alcove, yeah. or if it's a doorway or a hallway. And them. those stream sounds are going to sound different depending on what they strike. You know, so, like, if you flow at a, at a OSB wall or a wood panel wall, it's going to sound like drums. Like you're rumbling against that because that's that water hitting that drum, you know, with that OSB. Right. And it's going to sound different than concrete. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if I'm in a commercial building and I want to find an interior non-load-bearing wall, what are those usually made out of? Drywall, wood, you know, it's not going to be that concrete exterior load-bearing wall. You know, so if I'm headhunting and I'm sweeping and I hit, you know, a spattering, you know, sound off the concrete, it's going to sound like real high-pitched spattering essentially is the best way i can describe it and then i move from there into a rumble i know i came off of that concrete load bearing wall onto that party wall you know saying and that's at least the direction of travel that i want to go if that's what i'm looking for no and david griffith chimed in and said if you get that window with the initial fall away you should have some air current changes especially if you if you blow that window out you should definitely feel some air current changes for sure i would assume so yeah so especially if you leave the nozzle there (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So that decision to hit and move has to be intentional. You know, I'm doing this because of this. Right. I'm not doing this just to do it. There's an intention behind it. You know, so moving into the flow and move, there's intentions for that flow and move. So a lot of guys you see on the internet, they only practice flow and move, which is fine and they need that skill. But I would say about ninety percent of what you're gonna do is gonna be hit and move until you get on that landing strip. You know, so the reasons for flow and move, I've got a shielded fire. I can't access the seat of the fire where I am right now. Going back to that confined, distant cooling that we were talking about, that room is offset. I'm looking at a hallway, and I've got a side door into that room. I can't win from where I am right now. And if I entrain that nozzle on that opening and then pull it away, I've got immediate rebound, which brings us to the second point. I've got instantaneous rebound. And that can tell me that I know I've got to push at this point. If I want to move into that space without fire above my head and behind me, I've got to stuff it back in that room with that open nozzle. Right. So it's intentional to where I want to do that. So I've got instantaneous rebound in a shielded fire situation. Or uh, when I enter that structure, smoke to the doorknob, like my brother Howard Reinwalt was talking about at the very beginning of this thing, 50% of that space, and that's another nugget I got from Andy Starnes, 50% 50% of that space is full of heat, black, nasty smoke, or even fire. I'm flowing from the threshold. Right. And we're flowing from the threshold and cooling every room as we go through. And that's conditions driven, as it says. Black smoke, superheated gases, 50 plus percent of the space from the threshold, we flow that water. I don't want to get deep and leave 900 degrees behind me, you know, just waiting to, to pop off right. if it gets to the oxygen content. Uh, fourth point on the flow and move is if I'm on the landing strip, 
So the landing strip is what I refer to as the last 10 to 15 feet to the seat. And that's what I wanted to just say, because you've referenced it a couple times, but I wanted to get to the point where you explained the landing strip. So go ahead. Yeah, the landing strip, essentially like a plane coming in, and they're on the landing strip. That's the final destination for that travel. And that's my final. I would recommend that every push, no matter if it's a hit and move or you're walking to the seat of the fire, the last at least five feet to that seat, open the nozzle and don't close it. You know, that last five to 10 feet should be an open nozzle as you move into that space. Um, and that's what I refer to as the landing strip. So any class that we teach, I want to make sure that when we're going over the nozzle work in that class, every person that's attending that class can at the bare minimum flow and move 10 feet and turn a corner. You know, whether it's a left turn or a right turn, we go through left turns and right turns with an open nozzle, but at the bare minimum, no matter their skill level, no matter their physical abilities, I want them to be able to, at the very least, open that nozzle and move five feet and make a turn. So that's going to be the landing strip that I'm referring to. Now, granted, if I can get them to the point, if i got enough time where I can teach them how to flow 40 feet into a structure, making three turns with the nozzle open, you know, hitting back walls. And, you know, if we got time for that, fantastic. But if we don't, I want them at the very least to be able to, to flow and move that landing strip. Right. And then the last point on the flow and move is it's, the best practice for flow path reversal. I want to pull cool, clean air from behind me into those adjacent areas of that structure. And how I do that is reversing that flow path. I want to bring pressure down in that seat room to start moving into that area with cool, clean air behind me. And that's where me and my brother, Andy Starnes, may be differing opinions on that door control. Because in my personal opinion, if a hose line passes through the door, it needs to be removed or chalked open if I can get fast water on that seat of the fire. Okay. If I can't, and we're not going to be putting water on the seat of the fire for a, a long period of time, we need to control that air. Because going back to the, the real basic explanation is water plus air equals good. No water plus air is bad. Right. You know, So if I'm not in a position to put water on the seat of that fire, I want to control the airflow in there. But if I'm in the position to where I'm about to win right now, I want all that air behind me as much as possible because I'm not searching every room as I go through as the nozzleman. If I discover somebody on the way, we got a plan for that. But I'm not moving into the structure two feet, stopping and searching out both directions, and then progressing two feet and searching out both directions. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My job as the nozzle is to freight train to the seat of the fire and cool on my way, and that next-in crew behind me is searching. I've got to focus as the first in engine with the first line through the building, water between potential victims and fire. That's my number one goal, going back to the other slide. Right. You know, so if I discover somebody on the way, that's different. You know, 26% of fire victims are discovered by the fire, the first in line crew with a 50% survival rate per the rescue survey. And that's last year's numbers. So they may have some updated numbers there, but. But they stay, um, they stay accurate. But, but again, it's, it's, it's starting with the lip and, and, and going with your objective water between the victims and fire, which is life correct. safety, you know, and, and uh, it's hard to knock that. Um, yeah. Dude, that's. And then again, I, I go right to, and it's on your whiteboard. Starn's quote on the guy in the pajamas laying in the hallway. That's right. If you were the guy in the pajamas laying in the hallway, what would you want the nozzleman to do? Right. So, all those guys that are talking about thermal balance firefighting and don't open the, the nozzle till you get to the seat of the fire and don't spray smoke. It's like, put yourself in the position of that guy in pajamas that's laying in the hallway right there. What would you want him to do? Right. You know, and there's a lot of people out there that are worried about steam and victims and, you know, 
the alternative to me not opening the nozzle is six to, to a thousand degrees in that hallway. So I want to reduce it to that below 200. Then even if I can below 125, because you can uh, research the respiratory tract burn study and I can share it with somebody. I'll find it in my Google Drive with everything I got in there. But 125 and above is instant scarring of the respiratory tract. So if I can even bring it down past below 125, that's right. a win. Right. You no, know, and 100%. I want that cool, clean air in behind me. So, yeah. But yourself, if you enter the building with the mind frame, if I was that guy on the floor that I can't find until my search crew gets in here, what would they want me to do with the nozzle and do that? No, you know, and that's and the end of the whiteboard right there. That's the end of the whiteboard, and and, yeah. and it's such a strong exclamation point to the whiteboard. Yeah, you know, and uh, let me see what I got coming at you here. Of course, we got Chief Howard Reinwald saying positive control with flow of the fire corridor or the fire yields high return with an open door and an open window. OVM control the window. So, um, my man, uh, yeah, summed it up right there. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, thanks you both for bringing this presentation. Keep up the fight against accidental success. I love that term, man. Uh, yeah, man. It plays right into uh, complacency. When you, when yeah, you, a lot of people are accidentally successful, man. That it. goes back to starting screaming, shouting, spray water all about. Yep. You know, I want people to have intentions with that nozzle. I'm uh, not going to be there to tap my man on the shoulder and tell him to open it and where to put it. Where to put it. Uh, Jack Fleeman said, do you have a written guideline for finding victims on the nozzle? If so, can you share it with me? If anybody does, please share it with Jack Fleeman. Um, jerk Janiac said anyone using a smoke blocker curtain that would eliminate door control. Any, any thoughts on, uh, have you, have you messed with them at all? I have not. Uh, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of uses for that. And I would say the high rise, uh, arena would be a great example of that. And like I said, if I'm traveling a long way to get to the seat of the fire, door control is important to me because I can't stop the problem very fast. Right. You know, water plus air equals good. No water plus air equals bad. You know, so I would, I want to be able to put myself in a position to bring that cool, clean air in. But in those situations where I can't, door control is definitely there. And I've probably got phone calls from my man, Andy Starnes, right now. I, I, I'm interested <laughs> to sit down and talk to him and expand. And again, anytime you got to go, let me know because I'm going to keep No, I'm good, man. Okay, Bring it so on. Lynn I ain't got to work till Monday. <laughs> if no water plus air equals bad, dot, 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 then why wouldn't we control flow path until we have achieved location of the fire with adequate door control? Leaving the door open is foreign to me. We utilize smoke curtains. So okay. So that fire room is continuously pumping smoke out, right? So I want that visibility to be increased at the same time as bringing cool, clean air in. So it impedes my ability to find the fire if I can't see. You know, it definitely increases the rate of survivability if they have cool, clean air at the floor level. So, I mean, as that, that seat of the fire, I'm able to hunt that intake that I'm bringing in. And I'm not trying to get into argument with my man there. That's no, no, common, no, not at all. Not at all. It's a mindset issue on that for a lot of people. And I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of door control, but the UL studies that just came out and the the fire the the coordinated fire attack study killed door control for me in a single family dwelling. Because you can bring that fresh air in Correct. with your nozzle. And guys that make fires see that, right. you know. But the problem is, and and that's why this whole presentation that we're doing right now is so important, is that not everybody's going to fires all the time, and they can't see these things in action. And all all you have is the written word. You want to make sure the written word is as descriptive as possible. 
And that UL study that just came out, the coordinated fire attack study, is in full support 100% of insides where it's at. Insides where it's at, continuous flow to the, the seat of the fire is where it's at, open door behind the nozzle crew is where it's at. You know, those three big points came out of that study. And it's not new information and groundbreaking. It's just con- confirming what the guys before us already knew. You know, but like I said, if I can't find the fire in a short amount of time, I want to limit the oxygen into that, that structure. If I can find the fire in a short amount of time, I want cool, clean air coming behind. Coming me. in with your nozzle. Correct. Yes. So you can try. If, if my man's working in an area where he's got single family dwellings, thousand to two thousand square feet and it's taking him 15 minutes to find the fire there's some serious problems with that attack crew you know so um, and i'm not trying to insult my brother who's asking those questions you know what i mean but if i can kill the problem quickly air is good if i can't kill the problem quickly air is bad you know but um we just have to agree to disagree until we can sit sit down and have a cup of coffee and discuss. No, and Lynn, Lynn even followed up and said, not arguing at all, brother. Great information. I have learned a lot. So it's yeah. not even it's not even confrontational or even argumentative. It's just, what's your thoughts on this? And, and Yeah, what, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's I've got, my thoughts on it. I've got Alex Needham saying, Reinwatt slash Romagus for president slash VP. So <laughs> I, I don't know if that's 2024 or what, but I'm oh, voting. Uh, oh, they'd murder me in the media. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, uh, this is phenomenal. I'm not going to bother you because... I know if I say what books, books, we'll go for like another 30 minutes on books. I'm skipping books. I'm going right to the five questions for firefighters. You've already answered them, but I'm going to run them by you again just because uh, it wouldn't be a scrap if I don't do it. And so that's the only reason I'm doing it. So here we go. Five questions for firefighters. Brother, I can't say thank you enough for just the sheer amount of info you freely just dumped on the American Fire Service. So for anybody who's willing to chime in. You can find this recording on YouTube, podcast, uh, Facebook, wherever you want it. Romagus just gave you uh, enough stuff that I would have killed to know 20 years ago. So, uh, all that being aside, five questions for firefighters. What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Uh, The number one issue is, uh, I would say, the interpretation of the amount of information we have. I love it. You know, we're... Drowning in information and starving for wisdom, man. You know, and we need somebody to be able to break this stuff down. And that's why conferences are so important, you know, because you can read the written word all you want, but you need someone to break some topics down further and add experience level. You know, one of the one of my favorite quotes from Steve Robertson is knowledge without experience is theory. Ooh. You know, and that's one of my favorite quotes of Steve I Robertson. I love that. Yeah. You know, so I would really suggest anybody out there to get out of your your territorial bubble, get out of your bubble and start talking to guys around the country that that see more fire duty than you do and are able to articulate some of this stuff a little better than what you're reading in these books. Nice. Dude, knowledge without experience is theory. Correct. Shout Dude. out to my man, Steve Dude. Roberts. There you go. Uh, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Uh, I'll change this one because that was the same answer for the first question I gave you last time. Okay. Uh, I'll change this one. I was at Atrock this year, and uh, Elkhart just came out with a, a floor below and a cockloft nozzle, and I was pretty stoked to see that. So my man Andy Plofkin on our track at Atrock, if anybody's out there at Atrock and you took our track, you know what I'm talking about. But 
I was fortunate enough to be asked to teach at H rock this year on the engine side. And one of our, um, areas of that track that we did, they did specialty nozzles and two of those specialty nozzles they just came out with is the floor below nozzle for high rise fires that wind driven specifically okay. for a lot of that stuff. And then the cock loft nozzle. Um, and they're just adaptations of homemade stuff that's been around, but now they're mass producing this stuff. Nice. So I thought that was pretty cool. Sorry, I was going to go to the breakdown nozzle. The, uh, anyway, right yeah. the corner. Yeah, well, you want to know. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I was going with TFT on you. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, sorry. Best rank or position to be in in the fire service? Nozzleman, hands down. I can't change that one. Okay. Nozzleman. If I could uh, demote right now and ride backwards the rest of my career, I would. You guys might argue. Howard might argue, but I get it. Yeah. All right. You haven't changed. Best advice you ever received? If it's hot, you can't see and you can't find the fire, open the nozzle. Love that. Open the nozzle. Always start from local and push out. And I do a drill called the bang drill with my guys. And uh, one thing that we'll do is I'll have them flow and move distant cooling and then have somebody either yell bang or hit the side of the container that we're working in. And then at that point, it simulates the bang going off in front of them. And I want that nozzle straight up. So I want it straight up, and they start working that box locally and start pushing it back. Nice, nice, nice. So you got to get your people out and prepare them for these situations. Love now, that. obviously, I'm not going to be there to go bang, you know, when the flashover happens when for the guy. When it's a real deal, right, right. Yeah, but I want him to have that, that action already in his mind, what he wants to do. Love it. Final question. Second time you've had it. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Easy. Too easy. Nozzle. Always. Once the nozzle. Once the nozzle. That's right. I want the nozzle always. I got I got uh, Chris Schroeder asked. I want to hear his thoughts on the TFT flip tip. Mm. Uh. <laughs> I shouldn't even. This is like low-hanging fruit. I'm sorry. No, it's all right, man. Uh, I would say that the flip tip is like any other multi-tool that I've ever had. I've had a lot of Leathermans in my career, and they're mediocre at everything they do. So, I mean, the knife's about the only thing useful on that thing. The pliers are half-ass. You know, the tweezers are half-ass. The file's half-ass. You know, but uh, I would say, and taking personal opinion out of it, let's just stick to the facts. Um, For water mapping, Having that long nozzle on the end of my line drives my ability to map down a little bit. And also the weight on the end of that line keeps me from successfully mapping a lot, you know, so, and it's not just the flip tip, you know, so Akron's are pretty heavy. You know, the Sabre jets are pretty heavy. It's also another multi nozzle out there. Um, I want my nozzles in the four to six pound range. If that, you know, um, I want it as light as possible to give me the ability to map. Um, but no hate to TFT there, but I think it was a misstep. You know, Chris Schroeder, it's a it compromise. Have, it might have been the six, the six questions for firefighters instead of the five. So what do you think <laughs> of the TFT flip tip? Uh, yeah. brother, I had so much fun today. I hope you had as much fun as I did because I did sliding through these slides, man, from locate, confine, extinguish solid fuels. It's 90% of the problem. It's a four to five foot level. Um, if you take care of the solid problem, you'll take care of the gas problem. Pushing that cork back in the bottle, that upside down water. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, everything about it. Uh, I cannot say enough. Thank you for sharing this knowledge. Yeah, man. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. There's so many people that like, Hey, uh, pay for my class and I'll teach you this stuff. And you came on here and just told these people this stuff. 
yeah. because you love the fire service. And I can't say thank you enough. So I won't keep you any more on your Saturday night. Uh, tons of people. Thank you all for your comments, your questions, throwing them at Kyle. Um, anything else you got? Any uh, smoothboardcartel.com engine company resurrection. You can get me through Facebook through smoothboard cartels messenger. I do not have a personal Facebook anymore. I've been removed unjustly, I would add. Um, but, yeah, you can reach me through Smoothball Cartel. Um, if you're not a member of Engine Company Resurrection, please apply to be a member. Apply. There's two, there's two questions you got to answer. It just helps me rule out or get rid of robots and fake profiles and stuff. So if you don't answer the two questions, you ain't getting in. Um, but I would say the biggest drawback to ECR is that there's 30,000 people in it. Um, the more people you have, the more problems you have. And I got to moderate a lot of it. Um, but the biggest benefit, it's kind of a catch 22. The benefit of ECR is it does have 30,000 people in, it, you know, and you get opinions from all around the country. hundred percent. You can ask your question about you anything have, and you will get some answers. Oh, you, know, you for sure get answers <laughs> and you got to filter through those yes. answers, you know? Um, but there's a lot of information there. Um, and I would recommend anybody. Um, that's interested in engine work to become a member. Hundred percent, man. You will. I, I don't know how many conversations I have with the guys at my department about. Hey, did you see the post on ECR yesterday about such and such, such and such, such and such? Like on the repeat, on the daily, every tour I go to. So go apply to ECR. So you're going to be at Kima. I will awesome. the thirteenth. Doing the I'm stretch. I'm working the Yes, I'll be doing the stretch. Awesome, man. I'm, I'm sure I'll see you at others. Um, well, what else was I going to say? I'm guys. I want to say this to the audience and I want to say this to you, Kyle. We're getting to the point where I, I actually had a problem with a guy today and, and the audience knows, um, I've learned today how to ban somebody. So that at least is a, positive. Hey, that's at least as a positive. Go. So Jackpot. moving forward, we'll be doing good, man. Other than that, yeah. uh, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there, everybody. Kyle, thank you for being such an awesome guest. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.